Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Conor O'Gara. Will, excellent, excellent show we have today. T-Bob, he's going to join us in a little bit. We're going to talk all things LSU. We've got the jersey contest. I am wearing a jersey that I'm not going to reveal who it is just now. If you're just listening to this in podcast form, you should go subscribe to our YouTube channel right now if you want to get a, a little look. But I'm going to save that for for later. Um, and we're going to also have some thoughts on the back end after the interview about Herbie and the Dylan Riola situation, all of that. Maybe we'll do a little Super Bowl prediction just just for the people as well. Um, I will say too, you know, when we have T-Bob on here, it's kind of like when we have Liam Cohen on here, because he's like a version of me. He's like a version of me that's a little bit more athletic and can grow a beard, you know? So it's a little bit, it's a little bit, uh, it's, it's going to be like 10% different when you switch from this to the interview. More chess talk with T-Bob. Mm-hmm. More chess talk for sure. And that's chess the game, not like chest. I realize mm-hmm. that can sound a little bit, a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, great stuff with him. Uh, of course, would expect nothing less. But obviously, the big news this week will rest in peace, Toby Keith. Mm-hmm. Um, when we found that out on Monday morning, I believe, no, Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning, it was um, tagged in a, in a few tweets about that. Obviously, somebody that we've talked about on this show a lot, the How Do You Like Me Now games, that is become part of the vernacular of the Saturday Down South podcast. We talk about Toby Keith games. Whenever we bring up a Toby Keith game, mm-hmm. that's that's what we are referring to. Um, so in, in case you are maybe a new listener of this show, it's pretty self-explanatory. I explain later to T-Bob what a Toby Keith game is because it's not necessarily just your most impressive win. It is we said and thought certain things about you and then you went out and proved people wrong mm-hmm. with this win just like toby keith proved his ex-girlfriend not ex-girlfriend i shouldn't say that ex-love he, interest ex-love interest that's what it was ex-crush mm-hmm. um lauren's got a point about that by the way she she has maintained and lauren has loved this song way longer than i have she grew up on how do you like me now in ways that I, I can't speak on. Like I, I might've heard it a few times. I didn't really get into it until way later until I was probably 19 or 20. So very, very much late in the game. I can admit that. But Lauren's point has always been that it sounds like Toby Keith harassed this woman. And I can kind of get her side of why she wasn't into it. Just, I'm just saying like, I, everybody has a how do you like me now person in mind. I've got like six in mind that I could rattle off that we don't need to get into. Some of which are in this industry, some of which are not. Mm-hmm. But like, I, you know, everybody's got that person. For Toby Keith, it was a person that, look, I think if he could do some of those moves differently, I think he would have. But I don't really look back on that whole situation and go, hmm, I wonder why she wasn't smitten on Toby Keith. She should have been. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. I was listening to that song the other day, you know, when I heard the news, and I went, yeah, I could see this guy being kind of annoying, actually. Like, if you see the other perspectives, that's a good note. From That's why you got to have the, the woman perspective sometimes. Be like, yeah, I could see myself talking about this guy to my friends and be like, you know, <laughs> still feel like I dodged a bullet there. <laughs> this guy was basically p- playing pranks on you. I mean, he right. wrote your number on the 50-yard line. That- he said, call for a good time. <laughs> seriously <laughs> I mean, yeah i mean he took it a, t- a step further by doing that now you're like hey your husband sucks and he's never home and 
now it's me on your radar. Like I'm just saying, you know, Toby is he's a very jaded, um, scorned lover, if you want to call it that. But yeah, it's a banger. It's a banger. Mm-hmm. I heard it probably four times on on Tuesday alone, and every single time you can't not sing along to that song. I was going through all the different Toby Keith songs, which some of which like I, I like a little bit of his older stuff, and I I even remember. <laughs> The the newer song that I that I always had an appreciation for though is Red Solo Cup. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first time I heard one of my buddies singing Red Solo Cup, I didn't know that it was it was a Toby Keith song because I just heard my buddy belting it out a cappella. My college roommate mm-hmm. would come home and he'd be like just just singing Red Solo Cup, and I, I thought it was like a, a modern you know, like hip hop song or something like that. And then you know, I heard the radio. I literally in the back of my head was like, it's not exactly hip hop. I, I wouldn't call it, but a good example. If you've heard life's been good by Joe Walsh. I haven't heard that. I know oh, a different Joe Walsh. That song. Uh, that, so uh, it's, it's weird to hear you talk about Joe Walsh in that context. There's a Joe Walsh that I, I knew very well from high school and you always call him by his full name, Joe Walsh. There you go. Yeah. Um, this is Joe Walsh from the Eagles. I would encourage you to check this. This is one of my mom's. My mom put me on this song. I was like, oh my gosh, this song slaps. But it's like spoken word in a way. It's not exactly like a song. It's like somebody just spitting, you know? Just spitting. Just spitting. Nothing but fire. Uh, but yeah, Toby Keith getting uh, a, a whole lot of love on, on Tuesday. And, you know, I, I thought we'd give him some love on the pod today just by doing Toby Keith games, the ultimate Toby Keith game for every current sec head coach some of which we have probably said in the moment toby keith game toby keith game and others have maybe slid under the radar a little bit or they weren't in the sec at the time when they had it but i Mm -hmm. thought that'd be a fun way to to honor the late legend which man it's such a bummer to think that oklahoma is coming into this conference and you know mcconaughey is going to come in with texas and so he's going to be part of the sec culture in a new way and like Mm -hmm. it's a shame that toby keith's not going to be uh, a part of that, somebody that's obviously very synonymous with Oklahoma football and just the state of Oklahoma uh, in general. LSU has just claimed Garth Brooks. I don't care where he's from anymore. Anyway, look, I think that LSU has a weird variety of people that are very closely associated. Like Van Pelt is a good example, where it's just like, actually, I mess with these people. It's it's a fun place to be. True, uh, Rosillo, big LSU mm-hmm. guy as well. Um, but yeah, the. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of people more synonymous with Oklahoma than, than Toby Keith. Yep. Just seeing him on the sideline before the Peach Bowl 2019 against LSU. Yeah. Marler had the courage to go run after him and get a selfie with him. And I was like, ah, can't do it. Just can't quite do it. Didn't didn't really want. To. I don't know if it wasn't an ego thing. I mean, I loved plenty of You were on the clock. People. Yeah, you didn't want to bother. I feel it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it just takes Devin Hester for me to want to do that uh, to anybody. All right, let's start with Kalen DeBoer. The ultimate Toby Keith game for Kalen DeBoer is the 2023 Pac-12 championship. Mm -hmm. Beating Oregon with Washington. Beating Oregon the second time. I got so sick. The third time in a row. They don't want you to know that it never happened for for Lanning. You are exactly right. The third time that he beat Oregon in a two-year stretch when he was at Washington – and everybody kept hearing, and look, we talked about it on these airwaves as well. Well, Washington won the first game uh, against Oregon, but, you know, Oregon's the better team because they passed the eye test. It was one of my least favorite takes of the 2023 season. I say that even as someone who, look, I picked Washington to go to the playoff, but I was kind of critical of, 
of what they did the second half of the year. And they didn't look like the same team that we saw in the first part, but Oregon continued to be praised for how it dominated lesser foes. And for a bit, I kept thinking, wait a minute, your best win is at Utah without Cam rising. Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's keep that into perspective here when you're destroying these teams. It was such a foregone conclusion that Oregon would win the rematch in the Pac-12 championship. And instead, Washington beat Oregon at its own game. Dylan Johnson, the Mississippi State transfer, was remarkable that night. He had a buck 52 on the ground. Showed that Washington was not just this finesse team. And I push back on you when you say that Washington did not deserve to win the Joe Moore Award and that they won it because of scheme, because they could do things like that, but they didn't have the bet, the depth in the backfield. They had Michael Penix at quarterback and three NFL ready receivers. Yeah. It makes sense. Like why their style was the way that it was. But to me, that night was what clinched them the Joe Moore award. And it showed that that group had a little bit more versatility. Why killing the is pretty freaking good at this, pretty freaking good at this. And here's a question that I ask, does he get the Alabama job if he loses that game? and Washington misses out on the playoff. I think the hay was in the barn for him. I mean, the Sark win was very nice, um, but I think by that point, it's that's one of those, like, you know, I guess we'll never know because who he is is the person that wins that game. I, I That's why Bama liked him. And I like – it's funny because I feel like I have been a little bit negative about Kalen DeBoer. I loved Kalen DeBoer at Washington. You know that. I mean, I was a stand for Kalen DeBoer. And I'm glad that we could talk about real games that happened because I was, I felt crazy. I felt like I was by myself going, what makes y'all think this Oregon team at this point deserves to be on the field with Washington after the way that Washington has continued to dominate them, continue to prove they're the best team in the the Pac whatever, I guess technically the Pac-12. You know, they, they have proven... And and it was just so cool to see. And it's so funny because Landing and DeBoer are just such opposites. You know, Landing the guy with the SEC ties, great recruiter, big rah-rah guy. But DeBoer is this assassin in this game. I mean, just schematic genius. You see him on the sideline, like he's focused, he's locked in. He's not doing the, you know, rah-rah, Sam Pittman, Coach O stuff. He's sitting there just doing his job. He's clocking in. Beating Oregon, yeah, this is like your your company party. You're expecting it. You know, it's it's part of his life at this point. I like Dan Lanning too, but if mm-hmm. you're giving me a coach ranking right now that has Dan Lanning ahead of Kalen DeBoer, I'm scratching my head going to just, just football does not matter because right. two year guys and both did phenomenal things, but having a, that 3 0 advantage, man, that, that was a, a big, big moment for him and what he's trying to build as, as weird as it is to say about a coach in his late forties, but he is a coach that is on the rise very much. So, and it, yeah. it, it definitely set up his, his next opportunity. Sam Pittman 2021 Texas is his Toby Keith game. His ultimate Toby Keith game could have gone 2020 Mississippi state thought about that at the time. I definitely mm-hmm. called it a Toby Keith game forum, a great candidate because anytime a program wins an SEC game for the first time in over a thousand days, you get how do you like me now cranked up to 11 on that jukebox all right that is that is what we're here for and the timing of that was significant because of a certain record setting performance that happened in death valley with mississippi state against the defending champs a week earlier i didn't choose violence i didn't choose- I, man no but you're right that, i mean they really respond like based on what we thought at the time like sds was selling shirts you know for the for the area that the story was 
Mississippi State is great, not Bo Pelini is trash after a week because they <laughs> broke the record. You know, like it was that they looked unstoppable. But I'll, I'll instead go with the the year two game that Arkansas had against against Texas because. That win, even though it didn't age particularly well, Texas goes five and seven. The timing was crucial. Mm-hmm. In the SEC, we watched Pittman in year one exceed expectations, but it was still a three-win season, albeit a COVID season against all SEC competition. I don't know how many three-win seasons have ever improved someone's approval rating in a significant way on the national level. It's not a whole lot. It's it's a little bit tougher. So in year two, Texas coming into Fayetteville for a primetime showdown. Texas is a touchdown favorite as the number 15 team in the country. And what happened? Sam Pittman's team ran wild. My mm-hmm. lasting hog image. Wild. They were hog wild. Oh, God, how did I miss that? Goodness gracious, Connor. Be better. The lasting image I have of this game is a freshman Rocket Sanders taking a handoff late in the third quarter. And he takes it to the right side. And then all of a sudden he sees the cutback lane. And once he sees that cutback lane that was made by that Sam Pittman coached offensive line, he turns it upfield and you watch him just carry a Texas defender 10 yards into the end zone because he wanted no part of actually doing what it took to tackle Rocket Sanders and basically the entire Arkansas fan base that night. And it was a dagger in that game. Year two of the Sam Pittman era was a perception changer, and it took form that night, even more so than year one when he exceeded expectations, but maybe didn't necessarily change the entire narrative of who Arkansas was nationally. Yes, and as you know, we're going through this, I'm realizing that Pittman has a couple of these. I think last year's Florida game was a good example of one of those. Yeah, they had true. never won there, and it was like, oh, this team's out of it. They can't make a bowl. Da, da, da. They obviously didn't end up winning the following game. But for that day, it was like, yo, like this is why we're sticking with Sam Pittman because he can get the boys playing. And I think that's the story of, of Sam Pittman is that whenever he's on your side, you feel like you got a chance. You know, the guys love playing for him. And I think Texas, you know, especially at that point, and we can kind of project or, or kind of look back and it's even crazier now, you know, seeing what Steve Sarkeesian has done, all that, you know, the, the, the brand of Texas saying, okay, you know, we're the Longhorns, you know, we got all this money, we got whatever. And Sam Pittman's like, how do you like me now? I don't care. I, I got a hog statue. <laughs> None of that means anything to me. When I close my eyes and picture who are the most likely coaches to actually sing this song yep. in a post-game celebration, Buddy Pittman's at the top of the list. Yep. <laughs> it is him. He would belt mm-hmm. that out, holding on to, to some nice cold beer. There is no doubt in my mind whatsoever. But yeah, that night was very, very significant in what he was trying to build. Hugh Freeze. 2014, Bama. This is pretty obvious. It's the Katy Perry game. Everybody remembers it as that. It's the first time that the Grove had ever hosted college game day. We know how crazy it was beforehand. But just as for the game itself, Hugh Freeze in year three, and it's really year two with that very decorated, too good to be true class that had Treadwell and Tunzel and Kandichi and those guys. That place I can't was, even make that joke anymore because it's all legal now. They're not punishing anybody. So you know what? Good job, Hugh Freeze. <laughs> too good to be true at the time. I yeah. think yeah, he'd probably still have some of that back because the, yeah, that was ultimately what led to his demise with the uncover. Yeah, we don't need to go there. Uh, mm-hmm. But that that place was bonkers. And Ole Miss, number 11 in the country at the time, only the second time they had been ranked that high since the Tricky Dick Nixon administration. Who could forget? 
People forget. Not you. Yeah. I don't forget. No, trust me. What's easy to forget about that game is how poorly Ole Miss started. You think all of that crowd juice, that energy in that place, and you're going to get out to the races, and you're going to – no, no, no. Mm -mm. All of that hype, and Hugh Freeze's offense did not score a touchdown in the first half, and Bama goes into the break with a double-digit lead, and they just clawed back. That's all they did that night. They clawed back. Bo Wallace plays out of his mind. That Ole Miss defense was incredible. That Ole Miss defense – held Derrick Henry to 17 carries for 37 yards. That's insane. That, that's got to be the, Sharks, man. They made that stuff look cool. Uh, that's got to be the first time in his career to that point that he had a night that frustrating. Like, at no level of football. He's like the guy who averaged 37 yards a carry in high school. To get that yeah. volume and to be that held in check is wild. That's, it's taken until this year for him to have like five of those games in his career, yeah. honestly. They just, they'll go away from him sometimes, but the concept of we're giving the ball to Derrick Henry and he's not moving forward, there's not been many of those. Crazy, crazy. And, and that game was supposed to be like the, you know, Ole Miss, you had your fun, the adults are here now, go fade into obscurity like you always have done. And instead, this game was anything but that. And I remember watching this game guy that I was friends with in high school, went to Ole Miss, which is wild to think like suburbs of Chicago end up in Ole Miss. That just doesn't typically happen. He was an athlete. I think he was cross country there for a bit, cross country track. One of those two things. He was a distance runner. Um, Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a 2013 Auburn type season from Ole Miss. But in that moment, you thought maybe, you thought maybe this could be that and, and coming to fruition. And that night, ends up not being really a fluke, especially when Ole Miss does the same thing to Bama in Tuscaloosa the following year, which gave us one of the flukiest plays in college football history, even flukier, in my opinion, than the prayer at Jordan-Hare, because instead of one instance in which it should have been a turnover, that play had three instances. Sure did, yeah. It should have been a turnover. I watched that earlier today again. Like, that's that just doesn't make any sort of sense. Like you could try and simulate that play a hundred times and it still probably would never end up like that. Just absolutely bananas. But somewhere high on Hugh Freeze's resume is the fact that he's still, and he's going to be the last coach to beat Saban in consecutive years. He's mm-hmm. always going to have that. Not Dabo, not Kirby, not Les, not Gojo, not Urban, not Gus, not Jimbo. Hugh Freeze, he gets that. It is Mm -hmm. just good enough to be a bar trivia question of who's the last coach to beat Nick Saban in consecutive years. Because you have to go further back than you would think. 2014, 2015, that that is a how do you like me now feat. And it is definitely, I don't want to say 100%, but it has probably played a significant portion in opening the SEC doors back up to Hugh Freeze. See, this is this is why I love talking to you about this stuff because I would say the 2015 game is that because I think you know like you said beating beating Alabama it's hard I'm not saying it's easy but you know some teams have beaten Alabama but that second time you yeah. know when you got to go to Bryant Denny Stadium when you got pictures of you all over the locker room and Saban's making the boys run in the offseason going y'all lost to Ole Miss I've never I can't believe and then they go in the Bryant Denny and they hung. 43 on that defense. That was like, that was the middle of a joyless murder ball. They yep. went in there, and furthermore, they beat the stew out of them. Like they went up 
24-10. It went up like 30-17. It was scored the, two touchdowns late to make that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was almost like a and, – and you never know with Bama. We saw that with Tennessee this year. Sometimes they just be coming back. But those didn't feel like academic touchdowns at the time. Like it was – in 2014, it was like – like you said, it was like tight, tight. Okay, now we're going to explode. Ole came out first half of 2015 like, we've been better than you, dog. And they were. <laughs> they were wire to wire better. And so, like, that was just a fun little, like, like that was one of the most fun, um, you know, non-LSU games I've watched for me because it was, you know, back and forth and, and just super cool. And, and watching this great play caller who's doing the old shucks thing. I don't know if I still know how to be a play caller. But back then, there was no better man on earth than Hugh Freeze. You bring up a good point. Hugh Freeze had to show the world. I can beat Bama without Katy Perry. Watch me. I'll do it. Dare me. I promise you. I w- Game day was in the house for, for the second one, too, because they were they were in Tuscaloosa for that. So, yeah, yeah. look, I, I think we can agree. Hugh Freeze's How Do You Like Me Now game is just against Bama. It's one of those two Bama games at, at the very least. Yeah, also, very Swag hard. Kelly, 341, three tutties, 10.3 average. That boy was slanging that thing against Nick Saban in 2015. I think 66 of those came on that that fluke play. Yep. Uh, so uh, t- take that for, for what it is. Everybody's got to catch a break every once in a while. Yeah. Billy, Billy Napier, you know where I'm going with this one probably. It's 2022 against Utah. And there's another yeah. candidate that we'll get to, but it's I think I think that's got to be it. It's probably not a great sign when your Toby Keith game is the first game that you coached at that team. Yeah. Not great. Not ideal. Probably not a great sign when your future first round quarterback also looks like he might've peaked in that game and not necessarily because of the script that you had for him, but because of what he did on improv plays, just something to, I don't know, something that I've thought about, but at the time, huge for Billy, because that was the type of football that he wanted to play the physicality, the toughness, the endurance that his team played with to outlast an established Utah program who does all of those things. That's what we praise Kyle Whittingham's program for. That was everything Florida and Billy Napier specifically hoped it could be on that night. And I remember watching that game in the Mercedes-Benz press box after Georgia just tail whipped Oregon that day. And I was the last person in that press box because I was, you know, admittedly invested in my Utah preseason playoff pick and all that stuff. But I wanted to see what Florida was doing. I mean, it was incredible to be able to watch. I was amazed at how they came out in the swamp because let's remember the two previous games they played in the swamp before that. As much as we talk about how great that atmosphere is and how Florida, you just can't doubt them out in the swamp. The two previous times that they took their home field was that messy, disastrous FSU game where both teams were fighting for bowl eligibility. Mm-hmm. Damian Pierce was incredible that game, but the rest of it, you're kind of like, eh, this was a slop fest. And then the game before that at home in between, well, they had the Mizzou game in between, but before that was the Samford game was Mm -hmm. 70 to 52. The, the game that they won, I put in air quotes Mm -hmm. after they finally fired Todd Grantham. And he's probably sitting at home watching Samford put up half a hundred, just cackling to himself. Um, So look that night in the swamp, the debut for Billy was huge, huge. Maybe it gave him a little bit too much false confidence. It's like when you when you win your first bet when you're you know of age to be able to do that, and then you just think for the rest of your life you're this unbelievably good better. Maybe maybe there was a little bit of that with Napier. I, but still that was important. I almost went with the 2023 Tennessee game. Almost went with that. 
I think the timing of that was huge because yep. you're two weeks removed from the Utah loss to open the season when everybody's calling for Billy's head. And it's a game that that game was on national television. And a couple weeks later, you kind of showed, hey, we still have Tennessee's number. There's a reason why the Vols haven't won in the swamp in a couple of decades. But this is the challenge, though, and this is why this is a, a bit more difficult than maybe the, the average person would realize, is that we know how short-lived that flex was because of what happened against Kentucky a couple of weeks later. And I guess you could say mm-hmm. the same thing about the opener against Utah. So yeah. <laughs> Kentucky's always just been there. Kentucky's always there waiting to just step on you real quick. Um, yeah, I mean, this is... This game specifically led to, I'll allow Florida fans to laugh at me for a second. So I'm in New Orleans. You remember this? I had just survived a car wreck. I'm sitting there in the, a restaurant called Couchon in Louisiana. I'm sitting there. We're having a nice meal. I'm watching a little bit of the Florida game at this nice meal because me and my boys are all sickos. We're all watching. And we're like, there's no way. There is just no way. They win this game. Next day, we go to the LSU game. I'm sitting there, and it led to the, the phrase that me and my boys always joke about me going, I got to find something else to make myself happy for the next couple of years because it's not going to be this. Because yep. I really thought, like, oh, we could have hired Billy Napier. We got this dude, bro. He looks unprepared. Kayshawn Booty's deleting his Instagram and subtweeting this. We're so cooked. And then we're looking back two years like, But it felt real. Like, it really, in that moment, felt like Brian Kelly is same old guy. Billy Napier was new offensive genius because that's how they looked in that game. They looked scary. It's it's amazing how the college football regular season can shape perspective that quickly. Mm-hmm. And no other sport can we talk about that, about the first game of the season having that much of an impact to talk about, man, we messed this higher up, or man, yeah. we nailed this higher. And the trenches, crazy. they were pushing those dudes around in that Florida yeah. game. I remember looking at me like, they look small. Florida looks angry. They look ready to go. Now, it's hard to do that with the depth they had over the course of a 12-13 game season. But, you know, for a day, they, they looked they looked like they had the perfect scheme, perfect motivation. They were good to go. And the strength of that Florida team in year one was the offensive line. And that, mm-hmm. ended, up, that ended up being what they would kind of hang their hat on. They obviously had too many other holes to be able to end up having a winning season that year. But for one night, man, it felt very, very real for Florida and for Billy. Kirby, 2021 title game. Mm. And yes, it's the 2021 season, so it's the 2021 title game. Don't give me this BS of like, it's the 2022 national champion. No, no, get out of here with that stuff. You could argue that the 2017 Rose Bowl against Oklahoma was that game for him. It was always, though, always, no matter what, it was going to come down to whether or not Kirby could end the 1980 jokes. And that still was the, the question was still being asked after the fact as great of a win as that was and the mm-hmm. comeback and all the things that they did that night when Georgia fans had just always told themselves something is going to get in the way. The real change in perception of Kirby is beating Alabama, the national championship. Let me ask That's you this it. question real quick on the Oklahoma game. Do you think, and like Georgia fans will, will definitely get at me. This is a genuine question I have. Looking back on that 2017 game, and like put yourself there. Like, don't think about now. Don't think about all the wins. There. Would you have rather lost to Oklahoma in overtime and not play that championship game against Alabama? Knowing, wait, then what's, what's okay, so you've presented one scenario as opposed right. to what Beating actually, Oklahoma and then losing the way they did against no, Alabama in 2017. No, 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 no. You, you want to get as many chances to take hacks at the champ 
That's yeah. that's what you want. You even though the pain that ensued, and, and I can admit I'm not looking at this through the perspective of of a Georgia fan, but I I would assume, man, even if you knew that second and twenty six was going to happen, you have to get there. You got to get there. You mm-hmm. got it. You you have to sit down and have a chance at the table, even if that means pain. Because pain can fuel something very special. And there's something about being that close yep. and knowing what that taste can be like. So I don't I don't think they would change that path. Yeah. See, I wish Georgia had just beaten LSU in 2011 and I didn't have to deal with that because that was horrible. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. That, that's perfectly fair. I think there are some instances in which you could say that. But for that one, no. I think I think you had to get on that stage and you had to, to actually experience that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I remember that atmosphere at Lucas Oil. Like it's... It's the most tense that I have ever seen at a sporting mm-hmm. event that I've been at. I saw a Super Bowl in that building 10 years earlier, an all-time Super Bowl, might I add, Giants-Pats, that came down to a Hail Mary. And this game was better in terms of every play feeling like it was going to be legacy-defining stuff. If yep. Kirby had lost to Saban for the second time that season with that team, with how historically great that defense was, he would have been skewered absolutely skewered i don't know if that 2022 team comes back nearly as focused as weird as that sounds because of all that they lost the 15 players in the nfl draft and you think oh first national championship for the program in 41 years they're gonna have a championship hangover i actually wonder if the opposite kind of proved to be true and we have the benefit of hindsight to be able to say that but i don't know that they that they win one in that stretch if that night doesn't go the way that they had hoped the Mm ad mitchell touchdown grab the keely ringo pick six those are iconic plays that might have changed the entire trajectory of kirby's career i truly believe that and how much was at stake that night that was the the exhale moment for for kirby as a head coach there's no doubt about it from my from my perspective Yes, now, this is one of the all-time patio like me now games. I mean, the history of college football in terms of the, the Georgia, you know, getting getting that off their back. Especially thinking about, you know, I mean, it hadn't, you know, it hadn't hadn't happened since. I, I think that if that game does not go the way it does, you know, those two coaches are viewed. And and again, you know, it's it's always a little bit of hindsight with these type of things because. You know, if Georgia beats Alabama in this year's SC championship game, that's a true one of the greatest passing of the torches ever. Now, Nick Saban yep. had other plans at the at the, uh, the the conspiracy he's running behind the scenes to never lose. But point being, like, I think uh, I think yeah, just the the script of that game, like the Stetson fumble, just felt like it was like, oh, like this is just so. It was the most apex. This is how you lose Alabama. Like yep. it was like okay, you know, we're barely hanging on. We're barely scratching and clawing. Like, at that point, that game was 13-12 to 12 for UGA. Like, it was like any play could have gone either way. We need you to just get down the field. And this is, like, late in the game, too. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we need to just get down the field, do something to where we could just weather the storm. It's like, buddy, I'm going to do the opposite of something. We're going to do this. We're going to give up a, a, an 18-yard touchdown drive immediately after we're going to be losing. And then... Like we said, that's it. When you play Alabama, that's it. You had your chance. See ya. That's it. But of course, like you said, Keely Ringo and other plants. Of course, you know what I'm saying? And and I think that I, you know, against Bryce Young, against, you know, these great Alabama players, Will Anderson, you know, these guys that are studs that are 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 super villains if you're a Georgia fan. That is uh, look at this, look at Bryce Young. He's just crazy five star he's been able to sit in college football which is 
what are you even able to do that to just sit there and learn this guy's coming he's won the highs the first Heisman winning quarterback at Alabama like oh my gosh this guy's unstoppable and we got Stetson Bennett this dude's out here fumbling our fan base can't agree if he's good or not you know because that's the thing like so many Georgia fans are talking to me about the Stetson thing and I'm like here's the thing about Stetson everybody was right at the end of the day, like if you felt that Stetson had that dog in him and and whatever, you're probably in the minority among Georgia fans in 2021 when when the real decision was made. But if you were like, I don't know about this guy, you know, he doesn't have that pedigree, he doesn't have all this stuff, and and in that moment, it looked like, yeah, I mean, Bama has this juggernaut. We have Stetson Bennett. Uh, this is just not going to go our way. But those were the moments, and we've talked about his passer rating, Stetson's in these big moments. We've talked about he was able to lead his team execute the offense and he was not a game manager he was a game changer that's one thing about Stetson and you know I I think that it was just so instrumental to say all right I don't care about any of this history I don't care about any of this stuff we're about to whoop these boys from here on out like after this touchdown is given up we're going to get we're going to rally the troops the moment that Kirby agreed to become George's head coach returned to his alma mater the only Toby Keith game that was going to ever exist for him was beating Saban in a path to a national championship, whether that was in an SEC championship or in a national championship, a playoff semifinal, something like that. That was going to be the only opportunity for him to ever say, how do you like me now? That was it. There was beating at like as great as those LSU teams were. It was always going to be about that. And he did it. And, and there were so many people at different points that thought it could never happen. And now it, it it feels so inevitable with Kirby in ways that it definitely did not at the time. So I think that's a pretty easy one. I don't, I don't really yeah. think there should be a whole lot of debate on that. Okay. Mark Stoops. 2018 at Florida. Another obvious one. It's gotta be big yeah. one. Talked about this the other day with the, the Stoops legacy and why we think this could be entering the, the final chapter for him at Kentucky. You end the 31-year losing streak against Florida. You do so in their house. Your defense is insanely good that night. Josh Allen, go back and watch that game. Josh Allen played one of the great individual games that I've ever seen from an SEC defensive player, at least in the playoff era. I mean, he was everywhere, even in coverage. Like, the dude was incredible. And entering that night, Florida had all this buzz. It was Mullen's SEC debut with Florida. Gators were somehow inserted back into the top 25, even though they opened with an FCS team after a four win season. I, I didn't like that. Um, I, w- I was like banging the drum that Florida did not deserve this, this love at this point of the season, but it was a huge, huge day for Kentucky and starting this new expectation. The image, the lasting image from that game is, is, is my guy cash Daniel with the stone cold move as Kentucky celebrating. And it was a day that changed what, what what Kentucky fans thought was possible. In year six, Stoops set the stage to finally have a year unlike any since he had been there and really any unlike any that they had in the entire 21st century. And that's what he was able to do by beating Florida and not once again, as we mentioned the other day, being the Charlie Brown football gets taken out from taken out as you're trying to to send it through the uprights. But a that was a, a game-changing day for Stoops in, in what he was trying to build at Kentucky. Yeah, and to your point, like, this is when this stuff really rings true, right? Which is, you know, they got a winning record against Florida since then. You know, like, that really was a culture shift, you know? And yep. Stoops is another guy who I can see him really loving this song, singing it to himself. Um, oh, yeah. He, he, yeah, he's up there with Pittman, and, and a lot like Pittman, too, because... 
it's a little bit mercurial. You know, he can have some of these up and down performances. He has about one of these a year. You know, like last year, the Louisville game, I think, was that as oh, well. Yeah. You know, them, them coming off like, oh, well, you guys, you know, we got football from here on out. It's like, maybe not, brother. I'm still Mark Stoops. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 that's his that's his MO. But you're right. I think that Florida thing, you know, what was that streak at? It was so just obscene. It was like 31 years. 30, 31. 30, yeah. Oh, goodness. I mean, that's old school college football right there. That could never, you know, I mean, now with transfers there that you end up like Kentucky has now, you know, a Vandergriff or something coming in. But uh, every beloved Kentucky fan, every player could not beat this team. Didn't matter. I mean, we could say, what was it, like the, the bad Florida teams, like there were those couple of like four win Florida teams, and they always beat Tennessee, and they always beat Kentucky. And those yep. streaks stayed alive, despite they were horrible until these last couple of years. And I think that's that's a big deal. That's that's how you get people to think differently about your program. Mm-hmm. You have to do that, and doing it on the road too. I think that was that was significant. The the timing of it, because you know if it's at, if it's in Lexington, it's a little bit different. But doing so in the swamp and silencing that play, something that Mark Stoops has now done multiple times, I, I think was very very pivotal for him. All right, let's talk about your guy Brian Kelly. Mm-hmm. It's twenty twenty two against Bama. Yep. This uh, this is a case where. I think you could point probably to better wins on Kelly's resume, including 2020 Clemson, even though Trevor Lawrence out with COVID that, that day, a little bit different. Um, I would also throw in the 2012 win that Notre Dame had at Oklahoma. That's what actually set the stage for them to be able to make a national championship run, even though obviously they didn't have a conference championship to be able to play in, like how much that team kind of played with fire. That was where they really kind of, asserted their dominance on the road that game was closer than what the final score indicated but I I thought that was a really impressive win for that team and one that was easy to forget when they're like out here struggling against Purdue and and stuff like that but beating Bama was always always the goal when Kelly took that job just like we talk about with Kirby there are certain places where that is a realistic hope expectation that you will do and it will define your time beating Bama and getting to Atlanta was something I never thought would happen in year one of the Kelly era, especially with how close that Bama team coming into 2022 was to being a unanimous preseason number one. Bama played with fire that year. We talked about that a ton. So they were destined to get burned at some point, at, probably for that second loss. But Kelly's how do you like me now moment is going for two with Jaden on that play to Mason Taylor that had to be timed so perfectly and if anything is off there, we're talking about Brian Kelly in a different way after the fact. And, oh, man, this is why you're never going to win the big one. And we're this is still hanging over him probably at this point. If he loses that game, he obviously doesn't get to Atlanta. Maybe Bama is playing with house money in the SEC championship. The Tide get revenge after losing to Georgia in the title game in Kirby Smart's Toby Keith game. I don't know. that There could be a variety of things that play out. But Kelly ended Bama's playoff hopes with just the ultimate cojones, how do you like me now move? Yeah, I think, you know, speaking about that same season, right, it started with that disaster against FSU. It started with Kayshawn Booty. It started with Brian Kelly dancing on the recruits and everybody saying he's from the North and he says family weird and all this different stuff. And, you know, there were some just weird happenings to start that that year. You know, the Mississippi State game was a weird game where they needed a fourth down, you know, to, to do that. And, and, and you see the offensive line snapping the ball over guys' heads. They can't get it going. You know, Jaden Daniels is this guy from out west that SEC fans didn't know a ton about. And it was like, you know, what's this guy going to do? There was still a quarterback controversy. I mean, I'm not going to get into that. But point being, like, 
do we trust Brian Kelly? You know, and I, I truly believe that the media campaign, because Brian Kelly is not likable. I understand it. It's because he's a jerk. Like, it's not like there's a conspiracy. It's because Brian Kelly is a jerk. It's because when you talk about all these other Brian Kelly wins, I'm sitting there going, I was discounting all those wins. I can't remember which ones were impressive because I was trying to find the way that they were. And so that's the cool thing is when you beat Alabama, it becomes your best win. I don't got to think about 2012 Oklahoma because then they saw Alabama and had that go. And so, boy, <laughs> so that's talking about uh, yeah, guys that uh, could never be stopped. Yeah, they would not stop that day. But anyway, so point being, yeah, I think um, I, I, I think seeing that, you know, here's another since I, I told the story about the Florida game and how sad that was, I had invited – my friends all over for this game and I somehow caught COVID and I don't understand how I caught COVID because even Brittany didn't catch COVID. It was just me and her in the house. I really have no idea how I caught COVID and um, it, it, I invited all my friends and they had to like cancel their plans. And so I remember just sitting there being like, dang, you know, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. We got Brian Kelly where we might get beat down. Cause I remember being excited for the 2018 game and it just being a beat down and thinking, okay, well, you know, no Devin white, but we're going to figure that didn't matter. We could have had Ray Lewis. Wouldn't have mattered. Um, and so, point being, you know, when Alabama really puts their sights on you and they they do that to you, it's, it's a terrible day. I always joke about the, the CBS song just being giving me, like, war flashbacks because we always end up playing Alabama. And so, you know, the concept of Alabama had LSU's number under less miles and, and then under Coach O, other than the one year, right? And then, okay, boom, now Brian Kelly is here. Well, how is he going to respond? How is he going to put his mark on this rivalry? And the thing about Brian Kelly that killed me is that, like I said, you know, people were being subjective about him. It was like, I don't like you, so I want to turn you into a bad coach. And, in, and I did the same thing, like I just said. But at the end of the day, when you sit there, you say, like I said, this is now the winningest coach in college football. He belongs on a field with Nick Saban, not in the GOAT discussion with Nick Saban, but who does at this point? Bear Bryant? You know what I'm saying? Like, at, I think that, you know, there are levels to it, and he's closer to a guy like Nick Saban than he is the bum that people were trying to paint him as. And I think that this game, talking about the poetic – I mean, think about it. Mason Taylor missing that block on the PAT that lost FS, the FSU game and then catching the two-point conversion, I mean, that's like a sports writer's dream right there. When Will hits us with a triple ta- table pound, you know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. If we're talking 2022 LSU Alabama, I will do a table pound. I'm done, hopefully. Brian Kelly is now the person that I most want to see singing How Do You Like Me Now? That In the fakish. How do you like me now? Oh, Sounds like Peter Griffin. <laughs> God. It's probably an accurate geographical representation. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I did a little video the other day where I'm singing it in the car. I'm like, how much, how much Southern accent do I turn on right now? How much, what's an appropriate level? I can't go full BK levels, but mm-hmm. a little bit. You got to turn it on a little bit. I don't want to just sound like the biggest Yankee in the world. I mean, you gotta Listen, they can't, they can't handle country thunder. All right. They don't know about the outdoor environments out there. You belong. Buddy, I did seven years of country thunder. Trust me. I, I've mm-hmm. done my reps, plenty of reps. Jeff Levy, Mississippi State. Not available. Can't do this one yet. No games as a head coach. If you want to talk about as a coordinator, maybe that 2020 game against Bama where Ole Miss lost 63-48. to 48. But we're talking about Toby Keith wins. That's the point yeah. today. Uh, but gaining 647 yards of offense against the Nick Saban defense, pretty wild, even in a COVID year. Lane got a lot of that credit. Levy probably was able to get on the map even more so as a play caller when that happened. But again, this is, we'll put a pin in this. We'll circle back. Maybe Jeff Levy, who is basically a pretty daunting task year one. They're last in the country in percentage of returning production. Maybe we'll dig into those rankings a bit more next week. 
the Bill Connolly um, metric that I love that came out for this offseason. Maybe we'll talk about some of those SEC takeaways next week. But they're last in the country in that. It's a daunting task, but maybe it just sets up for every week to be a hottie like me now game for, for Jeff Levy. That's the good news. That's the thing. The worst thing you could have is a bunch of returning losers, okay? If you got guys that are scoring three points in a game, get those guys out of here. Start over, all right? No reason yeah. to give them any time of day. Take exactly. your team how you want to, bro. You got it. Nothing wrong with that. Let's go to Drink. Drink's got a few of these. Plenty. Oh, yeah. He, You could go with 2021 against Florida. That was definitely one of them. The nail in the coffin from the Molinera, the May the Force Be With You game where he throws on the hoodie afterwards. <laughs> I all time moment really was 2022 at South Carolina, just continuing that domination of the Gamecocks immediately after South Carolina had got into the top 25 2023 at Kentucky, especially after Kentucky jumps out to that early lead. And then it's, you know, all Mizzou's, you know, kind of a fraud. They can't win on the road. And then what happened after that, they just dominated Kentucky and took the life out of that place could even include the bowl game against Ohio State almost went with that because national stage, it's New Year's Six Bowl, hadn't been to a New Year's Six or BCS bowl game. Uh, you could go with that. But I'm going with Tennessee this past season. That's the game. The stand-on business game is how it will forever be known for drink, okay? Whether okay. you like him or not, that's the stand-on business game, the beatdown that Mizzou put on Tennessee in the second half of that one. Two years after just getting walloped, by Josh Heupel's squad. That game had a New Year's Six Bowl hanging in the balance, and Mizzou left absolutely no doubt. 36-7. Drink epitomizes how do you like me now? Probably more than any coach in the conference because while Pittman is the one that you can most picture singing these songs, Drink is the one who claps back the most and is definitely the most likely to text an ex-girlfriend or something like that after a big-time win. With a yeah. hottie like me now moment. I don't know that Drink has a lot of ex-girlfriends back in his day. He's kind of, I think he he and his wife met when he was in high school or something like yeah. that. So maybe that's the wrong candidate. But he could definitely have a few of those moments. He is the But he probably keeps candidate. up. He's like, yeah, somebody denied me a bank load when I was 26 years old, the GA. And guess what? I'm rich now. Like he strikes me as that guy. Well, look at whatever, whatever you gotta do to get you fired up, man. Oh, Lord knows mm-hmm. he's not lacking any of those sources of motivation. But has a lot of those types of games. I think that is the definitive Toby Keith game for drink. Yes. I, it's funny because you mentioned almost all of them. I, I randomly went on the little uh, deep dive. Remember Steve Wilkes, man? Oh, Steve Wilkes still doing prominent things in the NFL. He is the defensive coordinator for the Niners. And I was talking to one of my what? buddies about that. I was like, are we going to pretend like he's good now? And he's like, no. <laughs> it's like, actually kind of wild to think about the process of Drake and how I mean, well, I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's it Southeast Missouri State that Petrino was at. Simo, um, I think I think yes. Southeast Missouri State. Yeah, they averaged like eight point something yards a carry for an entire game against Mizzou, and like the fact that it was like so bad the Army game that they kind of came back and won, and this long climb to where he's at right now, I think is so cool. You know, the hiring Blake Baker, and like it's all it's like a. The Lord of the Rings at this point. It's like the trilogy of getting to this point. So yeah, I think the uh I think this is perfect. Yeah, I think the uh the the well, I mean, but also the Ohio State game. <laughs> yeah, but that I that game was huge. That that game mm-hmm. was really, really important. I think just getting to that place 
yeah. and doing so against a team like Tennessee that that had your number. And to that point, it was like, all right, you had this close loss against Georgia. You had a game that was sitting right there against LSU, and you kind of let that – you squandered that one late. And you should have killed Jaden Daniels when you had the chance. <laughs> you, you probably should have. Would have been a good idea. Um, but beating Tennessee and doing so in that fashion, to me, was an even louder statement. Like, yeah, they beating Ohio State – I mean, they, they they really did. Like, that, that game was – a, totally a, a one-sided affair, even though early on it's kind of, you know, it's kind of going back and forth. I still felt like Mizzou was controlling that game early, even if it was like a one score lead for, for a bit. But um, yeah, I think that one even more so than Ohio state. Yeah. I, I think for him is like, you know, this is this whole season in a way, you know what I'm saying? And, and the, the, when they have played Georgia close at times, you know, they feel like they're almost, almost, almost there smoking Tennessee the way that they did. And again, Josh Heupel, Kind of a younger guy, a little bit of a new age guy, right? I mean, they might be like similar, but his offense feels more like Gen Z. Like Josh Heupel's offense just feels like, oh, I, it's a TikTok speed offense. It's, it's either going to score or you're, you go to the restroom, you're missing something, all right? And so point being, like the fact that just be like, no, actually the way that I'm doing stuff, you know, Kirby Moore, like you said, it's a big deal. And like I said, just, just hats off to the Ohio State win because, and I said at the time, I said in the preview, you know, I'm never going to feel bad about Ryan Day's talent level. <laughs> I think that right now we're feeling that. I mean, the way that they, I mean, if that loss creates, I hate that we've been talking about this already, but if that loss creates an Ohio State National Championship where they just went, you know what, we can't do this again. We can't do this again. That will in itself have a big, a big, you know, uh, 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 like effect, ripple effect on the college football picture. So Drink, is, drink has been a good story. He's been an interesting cat. The second that Ohio State wins a national championship next year, which I'm not predicting that. I can't do that. I predicted Ohio State to win like three titles in the last five years. I, so I won't do that. Mm-hmm. But the second they do, I will have the column ready. Why Mizzou helped Ohio State win a national championship. That's the SEC spin. There you there go. You go. Right there. Brent Venables. 2023 Texas. Really the only one that, that is significant in my opinion. This is pretty obvious let's Mm -hmm. remember the the start that oklahoma got off to in 2023 was uh, kind of raised eyebrow five and oh nothing but double digit wins they were top four in the country in both scoring offense and scoring defense going into that game against texas and a texas team that already beat bama so it's like all right we saw what happened in this matchup last year like i get it you know dylan gabriel is actually able to play in this one but still like this should be texas's game and what happened i mean the Venables defense forces three turnovers. Didn't matter that they let over, you know, they allowed over 500 yards in that game. Who, who cares? The three turnovers was the story of that game. And to flip that so quickly in year two for Venables after just getting embarrassed in year one, maybe some sneaky hot seat talk for Venables going into year three if they don't win that game. If you just simply mm-hmm. flip the results of that game and just everything else stays the same. Kind of like, ah, is he is he really going to be the guy? You know, it's the Oklahoma standard. Like, I, I I don't know, man. I don't know if he's shown us enough. But by doing that against Texas, a game that Texas probably should have won, to me that was a big big moment to show that Venables, at least for now, belongs in that job. Yes, one hundred percent. It was the full Venables brand on display. Like you said, the, the turnovers, the just 
all the time, like walk them down drive by Dylan Gabriel. It's like, okay, you know, we got this UCF coordinator, UCF quarterback, you know, we got this defense. You guys are used to seeing offensive football. We're going to show you how fun smash mouth football can be. And also trust me on these guys over here. They're pretty, they're pretty dope. So yeah, I think, I think that was just the, the masterclass of the, the, what Venables can be. I, I think that he will have more in his future. I don't think that will be the last one if we look at this five years from now. But for now, that's that's clearly the top candidate. What about yeah. Lane? Lane, thought about this for a bit, went back and forth. But it is September 30th, 2023. It is. That game against LSU. He is a week removed from losing to Bama after everything was set up perfectly. People like us, are talking mm-hmm. about how Lane absolutely blew it. I'm on record saying, I don't think Lane is ever going to beat Saban again. Pat myself Correct. on the back. Perfect. Worked out. <laughs> Not wrong. <laughs> no cold take there. Nailed another one. <laughs> maybe maybe he knew going into that LSU game, the stat that someone might have said repeatedly throughout the entire offseason about Lane having one win against a Power 5 team that finished with at least nine regular season wins. Maybe he knew that, or maybe he didn't. I don't know. I thought about going with the Oregon game back in 2011 because that is overall the better win. It definitely is. It set up USC to start off at number one entering 2012 when they had, I think they had like 18 or 19 starters back. It was insane. But timing is everything. And timing is why the LSU game was his how do you like me now game. Mm -hmm. Field rushing, you beat a team with top level talent that wasn't just A&M or something like that. And obviously it had to be a shootout. It had to be that type of game for Lane to truly flex, for him to truly say, see, I am this good. A sneaky one for Lane that I kind of was like, maybe maybe I need to go in a different direction. The 2021 Tennessee reunion is a good Mm. one. Old stomping grounds, new and improved version of Lane, hostile atmosphere, obviously. We had golf balls, mustard bottles thrown on the field. The whole deal, we know that. Should we pivot to this one? Is that is that the better like of you know, the man. honey I've done all right? You know, I you know saying that to the ex is that is, is that a fair thing to say for this one? Listen, and again, you know, we cannot uh, uh, discount him beating you know Vince Lombardi himself when he beat Indiana in twenty twenty. However, I don't, I I don't like say, how you said that, Will. I don't like how you said that. that. We've been told these are the best coaches in America. He beat those people. We got to give him credit. You <laughs> mock my university with the team in the NFL that I hate, and no, I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. I will not stand for that. Anyway, no, okay. Well, I'm about to go uh, slander LSU because I think it was this one. I think it was uh, September 30th. You know, I was sitting there. I didn't believe. I was texting you saying I don't think they got this one. Um, and you know, I just want to say, you know, it's honesty hour. That hit the Jaden Daniels took is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. I will see that. It's wild. Like I how will... he drifted, and then all of a sudden it was just boom, takes his head off. It's everything about Jay Dacey trying to make a play. Da, 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 da. And this dude, it's like he ran into a bus. Like, it's like he was running and he didn't see a bus. It wasn't like he was stationary. And so, and, and that, you know, I mean, there's right there. That's the highlight of the first 11 win uh, season in Ole Miss history. You beat the Heisman winner. You, I mean, again, had a good game. Never really had a bad game. But with that extra possession mattered, you know, and the freak. Wow, I can't believe I'm doing this voice for Lane Kiffin, but got to give him credit at that 
freaking late game execution where he called like 17 runs in a row and I was sitting here going this isn't gonna work why are you still running the ball and because he knew he only needed one pass play to work against this madhouse defense and he was just sitting there laughing he was sitting there going I can get this wherever I want this barbecue chicken and I was sitting there in hell going when's it gonna happen it's this this run stuff's working what they might just run it in and I just every part I mean the the um, BTJ touchdown that was like questionable. They were throw. I mean, in games where they're throwing crap on the field, Lane Kiffin is like undefeated. He's like the best coach in America. They were throwing crap on the field for that one because it was a questionable call. And, you know, it, it felt like, again, it felt like they had the game lost. It felt like same old Lane Kiffin. Oh my gosh, Jaden Daniels, you know, BTJ, we've seen all this before. We have not, I've never seen a late game drive like that one before. That was special because they truly bled all the clock. And again, Jaden got right back down there. Like they gave him, like they, they tried to kill all the clock they could, but he knew, he knew exactly that we can't give this guy any time. And they managed that masterfully. So I think that, like you said, in the after following a season, you know, because narrative matters and all this stuff so much, following a season where it was, you know, oh, Lane Kiffin, he doesn't really care. Does he, How much does he love Ole Miss? How much is he built for the SEC? How much does he want to win when it's hard? You know, he wants to put on a hoodie and take pictures, but does he want to recruit? Does he want to win? Like, be serious. Does he want to be serious was the question we were asking for all of, you know, the 2022 season. And he comes in 23, and I'm like, oh, this guy's not serious. He's not going to win this game. And putty did he. He did. You lose that game. It's, man, Lane, Lane's having a, a tough spin. We're not having these ultimate off-season good vibes team conversations if you lose that game tell us you you're not getting to a new year six bowl you're not changing the way that people think about you without being able to close out that night thought about the verbal meme of Jaden daniels taking that old miss hit handshake emoji regina george getting blindsided by that bus <laughs> i swear that was the exact image in my head <laughs> who had a better comeback Jaden goes on to win the heisman Regina George ends up, you know, oh no, she didn't win um, Spring Fling Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, that went to Caddy Herring. It's Katie. Um, I haven't seen the new Mean Girls yet. I'm just pulling that out of the archives, even mm-hmm. without current context. Pretty impressive. No big deal. Shane Beamer had a lot, lot to choose from. Yeah. Very tempting to say Clemson. In Death Valley 2022, that is the better overall win. But it's got to be that night against Tennessee, man. It's got to be. The timing, the timing, the timing. You're coming off a game at Florida in which the only touchdown you scored came via Beamer Ball, a fake punt touchdown. That that team had Liberty Bowl written all over it. Six and four, not going anywhere. Tennessee comes to town. I always tell the story. Marty Smith is trying to hype up the crowd, SEC Nation, and that place is dead. The weather is crappy. South Carolina fans are defeated. They're like, ah, yeah, yeah. Look, by the time the lights turned on that night, sandstorms blaring, they were ready to roll. They absolutely mm-hmm. were. Spencer Radler, the scrutinized transfer quarterback, were kind of like, yeah, hey, you know what? This thing didn't really work out. Should they maybe go to Luke Doty? We were having those conversations after the Florida game. And then he played one of the best individual games that you will ever see a quarterback play that night. Juice Wells was everywhere. It was incredible. Hendon Hooker gets hurt, obviously. Tennessee did not have a prayer to win that game, even if he had stayed healthy. At the time that injury happened, that game was over as far as I'm concerned. And I know it's the number one Maybe they get into the 40s. 
Yeah, like look, I, I get going it. into the 60s. I, I get it, but South Carolina wasn't being stopped by anybody or anything. So don't give me this like, oh, Tennessee would have suddenly got defensive stops. They absolutely would not have. Beamer's yeah. had a lot of these. He he's had a lot of like year one against Florida and against Auburn were both big time Toby Keith games where he's got the family there in the post game interview and he's like, hey. I'm making my dad proud. And it's this like inspiring stuff. Like he's got all of that. And I almost went with the Florida game. I almost did because that game 2021, which was kind of in the midst of this free fall for Dan Mullen, where they win 40 to 17. I mean, they just clubbed them. That game Mm -hmm. got Grantham fired. People forget that. But I think it was still more about Florida and free fall than it was South Carolina truly changing how people thought about it. That night against Tennessee, they they changed the minds of many with how perfect they were on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, that is one of the funniest games I've ever seen in my life. I truly, like, you really pulled up some good memories here because a lot of these games are just like, you show up. I mean, that was, I've told the story multiple times, but it was like a pumpkin patch Saturday. It was like, oh, yeah. we're going to go mess around. It was the game that Kentucky had that, like, the the really like the shoot not the shootout but the slugfest against Georgia it was the Florida Vandy game and it was the South Carolina uh the South Carolina Tennessee actually one of the better days of SEC football we've seen recently like low key because this one I mean it couldn't I'm just I had to pull this up Spencer right I mean six touchdowns almost 500 passing yards I mean and that you know we're in a position, you know, with Tennessee. I mean, they're having their resurgence, right? Like we talked about, you know, and, and we're like I'm sure we'll get to that, but you know, what they finally did, you know, to 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 beat they beat LSU, they beat Nick Saban. Oh my gosh, you know, they had this loss, you know what I'm saying, to Georgia, but it was like, okay, we might still get in as a five. Or we might still like hop in. We have these great quality wins. We've beaten all these top five teams. And then Sandstorm started playing and none of that crap mattered. All of it. All of it fell apart. All mm-hmm. of it. That that very night, and the hooker injury obviously was was devastating. But yeah, it, it all just went up in smoke. And to do that on that stage, I, I think was the moment that that Beamer had been waiting for for everything to just kind of come together again. The Clemson win is is a great one because obviously you win in Death Valley for the first time, or first time anybody had won in Death Valley since Pat Narduzzi went in there and kissed his kicker right on the mouth right afterwards and was like, yeah. "Man, I love you." And it was. You know, six years. Like, that's what we're talking about. Like that—that that was, you know, a place where you know dreams go to die, as they've yeah. said many times about Death Valley. But for for him to win in Tennessee, win that game against Tennessee, not in Tennessee, to me that just felt so so significant for a program that really lacked those wins since probably yeah 2019 Georgia, eh, 2020 Auburn was a big one too. But still, that was in the midst of kind of a lost season. But it had been at least three years since South Carolina had a true, like, oh, my God, we just took down a contender type win. Yeah, I think, and I mean, I could literally talk about this game all day. This game was so cool. It was so funny. There were so many elements to it. I feel like there were so many big plays for South Carolina. Like, I had to go pull up this box score just so I could, like, visualize that this actually happened. Like, <laughs> Jules Wells, the fact that he was just a like, portal between the 20-yard lines. Like, it was just like, okay. Uh, here you go. Yep. <laughs> and it was 11 receptions for 177 and zero touchdowns. This boy was just, zoop. Oh, we need, we got something going was, on. Oh man. It was incredible. Yeah. And the fact, I mean, that was, and not to say, you know, obviously that was the whole, you know, the offensive turnover, like that, that, that was an offense that, you know, wasn't very successful. They couldn't get their, their personnel that, you know, that didn't really, I'm not going to re 
revisit or, or like revise, okay, well, that meant the offense was working. But for that day, everybody played their role perfectly. It was like, it was like watching the Warriors in 2015. It was yep. like, oh my, or, or with Durant, I mean, sorry. Like where it was like, oh, this guy's locking down the best player. This guy's hitting threes. This guy's doing this. This guy's passing. And it was like every guy was just exactly where they needed to be. And yeah, like you said, I mean, the 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 only thing that gives us pause from truly just laughing like like huge belly laugh at this game is the hidden hooker injury, which made things so much tougher, you know, for Tennessee because it's it's not just a, a funny thing that was one coach being way more prepared than the other one. It's a sad thing where it's like, well, this now derails Tennessee season not because they got destroyed, shellacked, you know. Um, you know, but I I, I think that that's uh, I, I think that I can still view this game positively because it's a good thing for South Carolina. Let's build you back up, Tennessee. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Oh, yeah. Heupel. It's 2022 Bama. Obvious one. They rushed the field. They smoked cigars. They sent the goalposts into the Tennessee River after ending a 15-year losing streak to Bama and Mm -hmm. beating the greatest coach of all time. If that's not a how-do-you-like-me-now win, I don't know what is. If you had just told me that that night was the music video – for how do you like me now? I would sign off on that. I would say, yep, that makes a whole lot of sense. The cigars put it over the top for me. Like that, mm-hmm. that is just a, a peak performance. We are not what you thought we are. And we're going to show the world. Very easy choice for me. Yes, I fully agree. And back to weirdly crediting people trusting UCF people again. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, this was the vision of Danny White. You know, this was the okay, we're going to bring this in. There was, oh, you're hiring this guy from UCF. Like, what's going on? Like, I don't know. Oh, Hendon Hooker. Like, what's going on here? Like, you know, it's not that they had some crazy, like, heir apparent quarterback or anything, but it was just like, you know, all of these choices, all of these risks, all of these moments, all of these losses led up to this one giant win. And the fact of, again, you know, feeling like, okay, Alabama, you know, talking about like the kind of crazy sequence of events in this game, this knuckleball that goes in, you know, just every part of it feels like, oh, this is how Alabama gets you, you know? And again, we saw it, I I hate to be whatever, but yeah, we saw it this year. We saw it against LSU too, but with Tennessee, it's like, okay, we're beating Alabama and then they come roaring back. And it felt like that was going to happen in this game. And then suddenly things change. Suddenly, how do you like me now? You know, suddenly we don't know who Josh Heupel is, you know? Okay, whoa, we haven't seen this offense before. We haven't seen Hennon Hooker and these receivers and this run game and this speed and this pace and and the deep shots and the confidence. And it's like, wow, Tennessee's really building something here. And like we talked about, you know, that sets the foundation for last year where even without functional quarterback play, they're able to set this floor, right? Because they believe, they've seen, they've seen themselves beat Alabama. They're not backsliding the six wins. They're saying, okay, even without, you know, Hendon Hooker, okay, well, we have... He's next up. Like, this is a bridge here. You said that with such confidence. Look at you. That was brilliant. Very well done. You say it with your chest. Thanks, man. But it's like, this is is a bridge here. You know, this is not, okay, here's the peak and then here's the valley. This is, wait, when you have a great team like this and these NFL players, this perfect scheme, you don't have that every year. You need to build for the next one. And that's what changed the total course of Tennessee. I will always be amazed when we look back on that game, the 2022 season as a whole for Tennessee, that Hendon Hooker was a Jeremy Pruitt recruit, a Jeremy Pruitt portal recruit, and that it was not Josh Heupel who handpicked Hendon Hooker. It was Josh Heupel who handpicked Joe Milton. 
it was Josh Heupel who obviously got Nico Yamaliava. Yeah. But the, the the entire conversation with Hendon Hooker was so radically different at the time when he committed to Jeremy Pruitt. Than yeah. It was a very short time. What was it? You know, a year and a half later, whatever it was that we're talking about here, where he's able to, to celebrate, I guess it was closer to two years later, wherein he is the face of college football in this moment, a moment that Tennessee fans, I'm sure, are like, is this just not going to happen in my lifetime? I'm just never going to beat Bama. I'm just never going to beat Saban. And I think Heupel doing that and doing that before Saban retired in a season in which Alabama had all those expectations and stuff like that and handing them their first loss of that year, I think it definitely adds to his legacy. It adds to his resume and it kind of, I mean, I definitely, in my opinion, put him in that $9 million club. And when he got that extension after, after that 2022 season, that was a huge, huge part of it is showing that you could do it and hold on on that stage. Mm-hmm. I hate to just default to games against Bama. Okay. <laughs> I, I hate to do that. It It is prevalent and this will fade over the course of time. It will, but with Sark, it, it is 2023 at Bama. It, it mm-hmm. is. It didn't mean that Texas was back. As great as that win was for Texas and that, that Texas was returning, that's what we've established, handing Saban his most lopsided home loss at Bama is the type of stuff you dream of. It was the way that it happened, too. Sark was brilliant that night. Ewers was as poised as you will ever see a quarterback. That fourth quarter was the type of thing that you usually see Bama do to everyone else. And Texas went into Bryant Denny and did it to Bama. If he loses that game and then we just, you know, go on with everything like loses to Oklahoma, Texas misses out on the big 12 championship. Sark, even at 10 and two is probably getting not hot seat talk, but did he miss the window talk entering year four? And mm-hmm. is this, oh man, like if they all of a sudden are eight and four, then he's going on the hot seat going into that season after. And it changes kind of what you think Texas is capable of a program. But instead you kind of blew those barriers down and you said, we can do this. Beating Saban, it just puts you in a different stratosphere. It does doing so in that place. It's the, how do you like me now for the agent? Because it gives you the ultimate trump card in those extension talks, which obviously Sark was able to get that raise. It is, it's an easy choice, but it is the right choice. This is another kind of culmination of uh, a person and a staff's vision, right? Because if you look through, um, and and like yesterday I was looking through, you know, how these playoff teams are built and, uh, Texas is a really interesting one because they really are not that much of a portal team. Like Quinn Ewers is kind of the exception, right? The second entry on this list, A.D. Mitchell, we've now seen him in two of these games, right? But if you look at really like there's like 25 players that made an appearance on some version of like a Big 12, all Big 12 team, right? And like four of those guys are transfers. You know, A.D. Mitchell, Ewers, their punter, not sure if we count him, rotational DT, um, who, you know, so it's, it is, and still within that rotational DT from like somewhere random, it's like, yeah, you got the, basically three, three-star defensive tackles that were balling this year. That was just Bo Davis development. Uh, you know what I'm saying? They had these guys that Sark had kind of um, accrued over his long coaching uh, staff, and they're like the Avengers, and they have all these position coaches that are coming up and saying, okay, you're from here, you're from here, you're from here, you know, and they've all come together to build this like staff. And Texas, who has always had talent, 
right? Texas always had talent. They were able to turn the key on that. You know, they walked, he walked into a situation with a good amount of talent. You know, it wasn't a dire, horrible situation, but a school, an administration that couldn't decide which songs to sing, an administration that was still missing Mac Brown and Vince Young, that was declaring they were back and then promptly falling off the face of the cliff. They they had, it felt like an unwinnable situation. And he built this thing a pretty old school way. He came in there and it was tough, smash mouth football. And I remember talking about it at the time and being like, yeah, you know, I mean, um, Quinn Ewers has got that little bit of chip on his shoulder. He's got that he believes in himself. He's maybe like a little bit like the Joe Burrow of this team in a way. But the rest of these guys, these are Texas guys through and through. And they came into Tuscaloosa and they said, hey, you think we're this finesse team from the Big 12? You think we don't play defense out here? We are going to punch you in the freaking mouth. We're going to get these All-American D tackles, just crushing J.C. Latham and making his tape look horrible. We're going to have your quarterback looking terrible to the point where he's going to get benched against USF. We're going to have all, you know, every the world is going to close in on you. Opposite of what you expected to happen. What you expected to happen was Texas is going to come in and puke all over their shoes and the environment's going to get to them and the, the, the lights will be too bright. But in reality, Texas brought the environment to Alabama and they were not ready. It did. And you could say it was a different Alabama team. It's still, I, I think at the time, like even if you felt like Jalen Milrow had issues as a quarterback, it's just still a different piece. It is still a different beast to go in there and do what they did on that night and, and to be able to continue, obviously, to have the season that they did. Now, if they had fallen apart and it's like, hey, they're seven and six and this is just like, you know, a Bama team that doesn't even get to an SEC championship. We're probably talking about it in a little bit of a different context, but that did not that did not necessarily prove to be the case. I'll say real quick on that. I know we're going a little bit long here, but, you know, as we talk about all these Alabama wins, as a Bama fan, you're going to be loving this podcast. We talk about all these Alabama wins because it's ultimate respect. Like what it says yeah. when Saber retired is like, man, everybody has to get over this hump and some never do. Most never do. But point being, you know, I, I don't think, I think Bama got better over the season, but I think the difference in this team and the teams like Tennessee, you know, the teams like LSU, the teams like Auburn that had a chance, right? Even Georgia had a chance, but it started at the end of the game, you know, Alabama and the coaching and, and the belief showed through. I think Texas would have beaten this Bama team again. I think this Texas team, the way that they pushed Bama around, the way that offensive line, which didn't get better, closed in like a clam around Jalen Milrow for the entirety of the game. I think this team... I respect them more for being able to do this to this Bama team that was able to reel off all these close wins against these teams because Texas said, no, sir, this will not be a close win. This will be a bad loss. <laughs> I, th- I think Texas would have beat, could have beat Bama maybe six times out of 10, maybe yeah. six times out of 10. And, and it would have been, I, I don't think there was any point in the season in which you would have definitively said, and, and maybe some with Bama bias, would definitely say this, but like, oh, Bama wins the rematch easily. There's no point. Texas didn't open the window in that way yeah. to make it feel like that was fluky. And that was that was huge for oh, yeah. Slark and to it, do that. It was the strength of the teams. The way that Michigan beat Alabama was up front. It was with their yep. D-line caving in the offensive line. That's why I think Texas would have beaten them a couple more than six times because how are you going to block those guys? That's, yeah. They never blocked those guys in the history of that game. They found a way to get around them, but they were still sitting there. Yeah, it was a bad matchup. Definitely was. Mm-hmm. Elko, only two years to be able to to do this, but it's got to be the 2023 opener against Clemson. Mm-hmm. It is also his best win. It is his first and only win against a ranked foe, which we talked about with our SEC coach, Hater Facts. But national TV spotlight, it's Monday night. It's a popular preseason playoff pick, Clemson is. And – 
they just took their will by night's end. Now, it wasn't necessarily a statistical beatdown if you're just looking at the box score because there were some very bad Clemson turnovers. But by night's end, you could tell Clemson was done. Like, stick a mm -hmm. fork in them. They had thrown in the towel. Fans rushed the field. Incredible moment for Elko. It helped bring college game day to Duke for the first time after that for the Notre Dame game, which could have also been, if they had been able to hold on to that one, how do you like me now type stuff. But this this is the the obvious one. Probably helped him get that A&M job as well to have the start that he did and to have such a spotlight on him to feel like one of these these guys who was going to get an even better job at the end of year two. Elko, it felt like, you know, you're right. You know, this was a massive definitive win and it stands alone as his How Do You Like Me Now game. But there were glimpses of this past that. You talk about the Notre Dame game. The FSU game, I mean, okay, they lost the game, whatever. But not having Riley Leonard, I mean, that was like the first time Duke had like led in that series and like since some crazy administration. And the fact that he had his team in all of these games and without Riley Leonard, that's the thing because you really can go. Play the well, first was, part against FSU and then he got pulled in that game. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like he wasn't right. Like, and that was one of those where it was like uh, probably a smart coaching decision to say, hey, he we would rather lose this game and preserve this kid. We, we, we've we not seen that a couple of times where it has cost the kid is all to say about that. And yeah, so I, I think at the end of the day, I, I think that is good coaching. I think that at the end of the day, to say we know, you know, so to, to, ha to have this guy that you said, this is our first round draft pick, because that's what he was thought of at the time. He was like this prototypical quarterback and we're going to lose him from you know, most of the year and we're still going to be good. We're still, our defense is going to keep us in this game. And, and again, like the Notre Dame game, same deal. It takes a big hit. Like he's just not there. So I think the story of that Duke season under Elko could have been completely different if Leonard had stayed healthy because they had so many opportunities for this. and They just didn't have that guy, you know? Yeah, it could have been an even better year two, but ultimately he gets that next big job, that next big opportunity, and it, it all started with that Clemson win to to beat Dabo. Is still in the ACC, a conference that Dabo has totally dominated. That is still a very very difficult thing to do. It's like okay, Notre Dame beats Clemson or something like that, or like they lose to Tennessee in the bowl game. They lost to South Carolina the year before, but but being an ACC team to beat Clemson. Well, even though even as Clemson has kind of fallen off of that national championship level, it's still a very, very difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. Clark Lee. It's 2022 at Kentucky. It is his first SEC win. It is also the first SEC win for Vandy during the 2020s decade. Yes. First SEC win since 2019. Go figure that it happened on the road in the snow against a ranked Kentucky team in mid-November. None of that I, I would have predicted any any of those elements I would have predicted going into the season. So much so that I bought tickets for my brother and his wife. Who, she works at Kentucky. They live in Lexington. And I figured it would be an easy Kentucky win with decent weather because it would very likely be a day game. And I was wrong on every possible account with that one. So maybe I jinxed it. Maybe I helped get Clark Lee an extension. Maybe I got Ray Davis a richer NIL deal to cross enemy lines because Mark Stoops admitted like what Ray Davis did that day for Vandy against Kentucky helped get him that opportunity with Kentucky. So maybe I also got Rich Gangarello fired. Maybe I brought Liam Cohen back to Kentucky for that one season. I think I did a lot of things by buying my brother and his wife tickets to that game. There you go. Yeah, I think um, I would say it's the Florida game. I think that was wild. I think that was one of the yeah. craziest games I've seen. 
uh, the fact that they were able to, I just think at the end of the day, logos matter and the SEC. And I think both of these are close. And when that happens, you know, when you're, in a, when you're a Florida team that's seen your team, you know, win national championships, you've seen your team be ranked in the top 10 as recently as 2020. You know what I'm saying? You've seen, well, I guess, well, no, not 2020, because I think they were like 15 and 21, anyway, or 22. So, but point being, yeah, when you've seen that and, and they're able to beat that team and make their guys believe, I think that was a really big deal. And and it's it's hard to say with a guy like Claire Lee who had a pretty, I think, disappointing year last year. You know, it's it's hard to say. Very well. disappointing. There's, there's no other way to yeah. sugar. Like, he, he, he won two games and went 0 for against SEC competition after getting an extension. Like, it was a wildly disappointing year for Bandy. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just tough because you would love to say these are the kind of wins that you can build in. Because, you know, not having the one, and, 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 and like you said, you know, breaking the streak is so massive. And then having the second one, just like the old, the old Miss thing, saying, okay, this isn't a fluke. So we'll see, you know, all the narratives say that they should have at least stated about that level, if not a little bit worse. Um, you know, you lose Ray Davis, that does matter. You see, he's still doing that to Florida. But point being, like, I, I think that, you know, it's going to be a very interesting um, next year for him because where do you go after these two barometers? Those are the only two to pick from, and that's the problem. Yep. Because those are the only two SEC wins that he has so far. And going into year four, um, yeah, he's on the hot seat. He's on the hot <laughs> seat. We've talked about that before, and based on the way the portal has gone for him so far, I, it's going to be very difficult for him to, to probably get a year five, especially with that schedule and the expanded SEC. I think that'll do it. That was fun. How do you, I love talking about a hottie like me now game. One of my favorite oh, things yeah. that we get to do. It really is. Um, and hopefully that was a little bit more positive. I, I realized kind of looking back on the last few episodes, I'm like, I've been a little bit of a downer. I can admit that we've had a lot of negativity with some of the subjects and predicting when Stoops is going to be out and what, you know, why coaching is, is changing in the way that we view certain assistants and whether or not they're going to hang it up because the, you know, they're too rich now. Like, it's good to get back, you know, some positive vibes. We need some positive vibes. John, or, John uh, Connor's just getting like pea soup spit up on him, and he's just like getting to his computer to furiously slander coaches. <laughs> uh, the, the spit up game, uh, you, you adjust. It's it's not so much the food that I worry about. It's like okay, my my right shoulder. Do I care about this item of clothing that I am currently wearing? The answer every single time better be no. Because if it's yes, then I've made the mistake and I have nobody to blame but myself. So adapt or die, brother. After die. Amen, brother. Amen. All right, let's get to T-Bob. We discussed Brian Kelly's year three approval rating, defensive changes, Harold Perkins, Nuss, all that stuff. Great, great stuff, as always, from one of our favorites. And as I always say before T-Bob comes on, maybe if you have kids in the car, save that part for later. Uh, we got some adult language on the way. Um, just You've been warned. This is your warning. Okay. T-Bob's going to let it rip. That's what he does. So here's T-Bob. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is T-Bob Bear, the one and only. Got a lot of haters and a lot of homies. Um, first of all, do you know where that's – can you name that song, what I just referenced? No. no. Um, if you were to look at my Spotify most played, um, it's almost exclusively movie soundtracks. Uh, movie soundtracks and then John Baptiste. So I am not exactly the most um, – musically inclined if you will uh but i am in the top 0.01 percent of both john williams and john batiste listeners not to brag what about john wall listeners because it was a john wall mike jones ripoff a little still tipping is what we were talking oh, wow. about wow okay i mean look don't get me wrong i too um have been known to tip on fofos 
mm-hmm. and rep them fofos. But um, it's been a while since I've um, listened to culturally relevant music. Well, except for sure. Bethy's, because obviously he's fucking killing it. Sorry, am yeah. I allowed to curse here? I'll, eh, I'll go overboard with it. We'll, 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 we'll keep it chill. We'll keep it chill. I'll, I'll put the disclaimer. I'll put the T-Bob uh, disclaimer at the top. I only put a disclaimer in there for you and Van Lathan. I've told you this before. You, you yeah. two are the only ones. Guys. Yeah. Couple, it must be a bad Bruce <laughs> thing. Yeah, Hester doesn't need it. But you two guys always, we got to have the disclaimer. No, Jake top. is still beholden to old media. And it makes sense, you know. Um, he's on serious stuff where he, he doesn't like, you know, uh, evidence of him cursing on recorded audio or video like i had him on snaps the other day and we tried to get him to say the f word and he wouldn't do it uh we got him to say bullshit so look i do a daily radio show like i can turn it off so if you ever need me to turn it off just let me know that ain't no problem it's just the best person the best person at turning it off is chris doring like hands down he is unbelievable at flipping that switch like literally I have watched him on the set at SEC Network, and then like five seconds later, he's dropped three f bombs, and I'm like, yeah. "You cut it close in ways that I I can never I can never dream of." But you know what? It's uh, you guys are you guys are pros, and you're able to the uh, yeah. D- having Dorian on snaps the other day was um, man, he 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 really was like a young colt that got to run free. You know, <laughs> he, he he was finally getting to talk about the things in the manner to talk about the things they want to talk about and talk about them in the manner that he wanted to talk about. So that was a lot of fun. Right, let's start with uh, what what's something that I discussed in the open here. And I know you, you said your music tastes aren't, aren't very modern, but we, we did Toby Keith games for every SEC head coach, which is the how do you like me now game for every current SEC <laughs> head coach. Okay. And it's something. It's something we talked about on the pod for 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 a bit now, and we'll, we'll bring it up kind of within the context of when we think it happens. I'm putting you on the spot again, but I'm curious if you agree with me on the one that I had for for Brian Kelly, because for me, his "How Do You Like Me Now" game is 2022 Bama. Would you? And you could include Notre Dame, you can include Cincinnati, you can include Central Michigan, Grand Valley State, for all I care. Like any that come to mind, who would you pick or what would you and pick? So you're talking about like, like a game? Kirk Cousins validation, like you like that? Like, yes, yeah. Exactly. Like how okay, okay, okay. I'm just making sure I understand the context here. Um yeah, I mean, without a doubt, right? Like that was the ultimate um proof of concept for uh maybe some of the potential of the Kelly era. I mean, he takes over a team that has 39 scholarship players and through um, mass portaling and clinging on to whatever the recruiting class that you could um, in death Valley, where this is a weird thing about the Alabama LSU series. Um, LSU never wins a game in death Valley ever, 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 ever. Um, They only, when they do win occasionally, it's always in Tuscaloosa for whatever reason. So to beat Alabama in death Valley and Alabama featuring Bryce young, and Will Anderson, um, and to do it in such exciting fashion, going for two, last play of the game, nuts on the line, executed perfectly. Yeah, that was like, okay, um, he's immediately beloved. Then it ends up getting you an SEC West title. I mean, really, year one would have been a pretty unreal success had they not lost the A&M game. That pushed you to 10-4 and versus 11-3, and where 11-3 and would have sounded, um, it it just sounds a little sexier. Than does 10 and four. But I mean, you look, dude, 
back-to-back 10-win seasons. Um, pretty much with his 24 class, he answers, and I'm sure we'll get anybody answers any real recruiting questions that you had coming in. Uh, the defensive coaching staff makeover of the offseason. The Brian Kelly slash LSU stock is hot right now in the streets. Uh, it has been a favorable news cycle after favorable news cycle for them. I want to talk about that because it's crazy to think that it's year three already of the Kelly era. And we know the recent track record for LSU coaches year three where coach O wins a national title year three, Les miles obviously wins a national title year three, which you probably remember as an innocent 18 year old who was probably having like, I don't know, 10,000 calories a day during that red trip year. That's just what I imagine. (laughs) I I think, wait, do you want to go into your diet seeds on the sideline? I would, uh, because you're like, you know, you're not going to play. So you, I would attach gloves to my belt and, um, you know, I was a big LSU fan. So I'd attach gloves to my belt, load those things down with seeds right when the game starts, throw my helmet behind the bench. And I'd just be sitting there like a fan with the best seat in the house. It's fucking chilling, eating seeds. It was awesome. <laughs> That's incredible. I used to do that, like watching Blackhawks games from the comfort of my couch, like circa 2010. That was a Hell big yeah. time for for sunflower seeds back in the day. But like, so like, you, you know, this, this, this track record of, of what we're talking about in year three and, you know, expectations, that's just, it's just natural. I, I think Kelly is exactly at the hope and expectation for where we thought he would be, where if you added one extra thing to either of those seasons that he's had in so far, I, I think you would say that he's above expectation and if you take away either the Bama win in 22 or the Jaden Heisman season, and yeah. he's probably below it, where do you think his approval rating is at with what's been a really favorable news cycle for him? I would say um, it's a very shrewd analysis of the tenure thus far. And I hadn't really thought about it in that manner, but but I think you're pretty damn spot on there in terms of um, kind of landing right on that line due to a couple of big moments, which raised some frustrations. I mean, certainly the defensive debacle uh, was completely awful this last year. Uh, but as you said, the Jaden Heisman kind of balances those scales. Uh, and going to the offseason, though, it looked like Matt House was going to be retained. That was going to be awful. But then not only do you not retain him, but you go and get a guy that was really the fan favorite for the job in Blake Baker. And then you go and get Bo Davis from Texas for a million and a half a year, which thought to be like impossible. And you hire Kevin Peoples. And so you have a, um, I mean, it's weird. Approval rating right now, sky high, because like I said, everything's going well. Um, overall, I would still say in, in, in the black, like, yes, the majority of people are happy with him. And it's hard not to see why. I mean, it's back-to-back 10-win seasons. Um, you're you're establishing a – well, you're trying to establish – like, LSU's always had the really high points, but they've never been one of the schools that is consistently always, like, in the top five. You know, like, 10 wins every single year. He's trending towards making the school into that. Um, there's a lot of reason to be excited about next year. And then, again, I, I feel like this recruiting class really came together in a nice way. And answer a lot of questions. And then the 25 class is like crazy right now. It's so far away, but it's still adding to the overall positivity. So uh, let's be clear. The bar is national championship for Brian Kelly into ultimately whether or not he will be um, accepted and championed as a success. But in that climb to that national championship, I think he does have the potential to bring more uh, consistency and sustainability to the program 
And he's been saying since day one that year three is when that process really starts to prop, uh, really starts to pop. And I do feel like if you looked at the progress of LSU from when he took over to now, uh, you know, progress is never linear, right? So if you zoom out, it's it's been a consistent upward climb. Uh, but zooming in, you'll see some peaks and valleys, some steps back. Uh, but overall, I feel like everything's heading in the right direction for for sure. Well, we remember Matt House as being just as bad as Bo Pelini, or is that not fair because at least Matt House had a decent year one? Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird, man. No, I feel like the 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 really bad year is going to um overshadow what was a decent year one. And uh that's just kind of the name of the game, dude, right? Um in some ways, it's almost like Pelini was more palatable because he was it was just so clearly Pelini at a point was just saying, fuck it, fuck all of you. I'm doing my shit. Like, you gotta pay me. It is what it is. Um I, I kind of feel bad for House in a way because I, I think he was really trying everything he knew, but for whatever reason, the players very obviously did not like him. The scheme was not translating. Um, it was god-awful defense. And and then you have the added frustration of uh, wasting a championship offense, uh, which certainly Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, I mean, watch where these guys go in the draft. Uh, that's That was absolutely a championship-caliber offense that was um, dragged down by the Albatross that was uh, the LSU defense. So, like, no, that that's unfortunately the Madhouse era at LSU will be remembered um, like Bo Pelini's. When we talked last year, all the talk was about the decision to move Harold Perkins into this off-ball linebacker role, and the final numbers of his usage ended up being tr- pretty troubling if you look at it on PFF, where he had 291. That, w- that was the snaps in coverage compared to just 162 rushing the passer, which is, like, essentially two to one. And that's crazy to think about for somebody that rushes the passer as well as he did. The positive was, and I think this is the the launching point where Blake Baker can actually look at this and say like, okay, I can, I can utilize his skill set, but just in a different way. It was almost even in terms of lining up in the box on the defensive line or at that slot corner spot where you can still blitz from there too. I think that's great, but you're not disguising looks with him in the way that you had hoped with Matt house. That should be different with Blake Baker. Kelly deserves a little bit of the blame for the Matt House stuff because he signed off on that move. And I remember talking about it after the opener. So now he brings in this guy who, in theory, runs these exotic blitzes. And we should have the best version of Harold Perkins. What is your hope that he is going to be this upcoming season? Is it simply that he is the guy that we saw terrorize this conference in the latter half of his true freshman season? Or is it more of the player that we saw last year? No, I mean, no, he needs to have an impact again um, in the way they used to. And credit to him, he is so athletic and so good that on defense that didn't have a pulse, he still was the only player that would flash occasionally. And if you want to look for the silver line in a bad situation, it's kind of to your point, like he ended up grading out very well in coverage. So, you know, he grows a lot in this last year in that area of the game. So that's now a skill set that you can fall back on. Uh, I still think it's fucking stupid to have a two to one coverage to rush ratio. We just don't want to pull any punches here. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, you have this resource and you're just like, nah, we're nah, nah, we're not going to use it. Um, it's so I, I, I would, I would imagine. And look, you know, you hear some things about maybe like Perkins camp wanting him to kind of switch those positions to maybe like increase draft stock or, or something or another. Um, I don't know if that's true. Cause that doesn't make any sense to me. 
Like, I don't think he looks like a more attractive NFL prospect doing that than he does just being, uh, you know, uh, like you said, just terrorizing the offense. But, but I do think, look, like you said, you develop the coverage skill set, develops knowledge of multiple different positions over this last year. These are elements you can carry forward into what should be hopefully a, um, a renaissance year for Harold Perkins. Like I would point you to Damone Clark, who granted he was an inside linebacker under Blake Baker, but he was awful. Um, whatever year that was 20, maybe 2020, I think under Polini. Yeah. With Polini, he was awful. Like some of the worst middle linebacker film I've ever seen. Uh, Blake Baker comes in to coach linebackers the next year. Damone Clark ends with like 130 tackles. He's a first team all American. Um, I think he ended up getting drafted. Was it first round? When did Damone Clark end up getting? Um, I thought he was a day two guy. Maybe let me, let me look. Let me look. Let me look. Uh, but, but like he was he uh 176. Uh, yeah, so round five, but still a okay. guy that um was not even on the NFL's radar a year before and now play. So Blake Baker paid huge dividends with him. You'd imagine he'd be able to do the same with Harold Perkins. And really that's a lot of the excitement is whenever you evaluate a coach, you want to say, okay, you know, I'm looking at the ingredients they have. Are they elevating them? Are they cooking a special meal or are they dragging them down? And um, I think there's no doubt that the staff last year was um, like, anytime I see people that have done in the past, suddenly can't do it, but you know, well, What's it, you know, how do we, how do we uh, uh, try to make sense of that? And I, I think clearly the coaching was having a net negative effect on this team last year. So I, I'm looking for a lot of individuals to look um, pretty drastically better than they did last season. I feel like the the secondary last year was, was such an obvious weakness coming into the season and it, it ended up being very much confirmed. And I'm actually not as worried about that for LSU coming into this year with the pieces that they return, they bring back, the, the guy that they got from Ohio State the year before who got hurt right before the yeah, season. Yeah, J.K. Johnson. Yeah, and like they, they should be in a much better spot with some of those guys that got significant reps. And if they're just not in some of the spots that they were in last year, that, that should be improved. But the defensive line, it, it's going to be a question, even though you bring in Bo Davis, how, what's your concern level for that group? Even if they are going to be put in better spots, but just knowing that Mason Smith didn't come back in the way that many expected him to after what felt like kind of a lost season and obviously losing somebody like Makai Wingo. Yeah. Again, Connor, I, I got to commend you. I think very shrewd analysis. Um, you know, it's hard when you talk about all the teams like you do to, to be this in touch with what kind of the um, local breakdowns of the team are, but I think you're spot on because I too, am not really worried about secondary. Uh, I think Corey Raymond going to bring a lot in that regard. And I'm blanking on the new safeties coach, but he's kind of viewed as like a young up and comer. And this is his first like position coach opportunity, right? Those guys are kind of exciting sometimes. Uh, and like Kelly said the other day, he's like, we have like 17 or maybe it was 18, like scholarship DBs. Like somebody's going to step up. Like I'm not, he's not going to the portal. Right. Um, they have no interior defensive linemen. I think they have yeah. three guys on scholarship right now. Um, really the, 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 the zombie hand coming out of the Matt House grave <clears throat> was the fact that it results in Makai Wingo and Mason Smith leaving for the NFL. Um, and Makai Wingo right there with Harold Perkins as one of those guys that was an All-American the year before and then awful this year. And how do you make sense of that, right? Um, and then Mason Smith, somebody with all the potential in the world, career gets kind of upset by injuries, and you would have thought nobody would have been better helped by coming back to LSU and learning about Davis and Mason Smith would, but I don't know if it was like the timing of the move, maybe Smith was just done, but in the Smith thing's interesting. Cause like 
I think he's actually taking a financial risk. I'm used to guys leaving early back in the day where it's just like, look, I got to go make money. Even if I can be a higher draft pick, I got to get paid. Like, I don't know that Mason Smith will make a team. He may because he's such a physical freak. But, like, where he gets drafted, he might be making less than what he was making at LSU. So I'm kind of shocked that he decided to um, to do that. I hope he does make it because his potential was through the roof pre-injury. Um, and I don't think he was put in positions to succeed. So anyway, they have like three guys and that's the big question mark. You know, how much can you coach a group up? They're talking about cross training some guys, um, some of the bigger DNs. They're talking about maybe working some O linemen over to D line. But even then I've never seen, I've seen plenty of D linemen become incredible offensive linemen. I've never seen it work the other way. Um, at least beyond just a, maybe a rotational guy. Like, I've never seen an O-lineman go play D-line to be incredible, and that's because generally D-linemen are more athletic. And so they translate better making that switch. So, uh, I mean, certainly they're going to put their thumb on the scale um, for the spring uh, second transfer portal window. Like, if any interior defensive lineman becomes available, I, I think LSU will be, you know, there first in line saying, hey, come on down. But that is the major Achilles heel of this entire team right now. Otherwise the roster is pretty damn nice. Um, pretty much in every other regard. Are you saying that you could not have at any point during your college career said, you know what guys, I realize you need some help on the interior <laughs> defensive line. Yeah. Let me just swing over there and see how that goes. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, and it's like, it's funny because uh, one of my buddies who would go on to be an all American offensive lineman, um, Will Blackwell was initially a defensive end uh, coming out of high school. And we tried to tell him, bro, you're white. It's not going to happen. <laughs> the curse of Chase Pittman at LSU, like, just go ahead and speed it up. Just come on over here from the jump and show no. Year later, he's on the O-line. And he ends his senior year as an All-American. My guy Joe Barksdale uh, was one of the biggest defensive recruits in the entire country. He switched to O-line a year in. And uh, he goes on to be all SEC, shuts down Von Miller in the Cotton Bowl, plays in the NFL for seven years. So, again, I've seen it work a ton that direction. I have literally don't think I've ever seen it work the other way. I think one of the most disappointing units of the 2020 so far is the LSU defense. Like, it's 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 in that yeah, conversation. Fair. It, it has to be. Like, A&M's offense is part of that. Ultimately, I went with Florida's defense because they didn't even have the one good year. I mean, it's just been a disaster. You could just, like, just extend that to the Florida program um, as a whole. It's just been – it's kind of a bummer. I mean, Graham Merch put up some okay stats last year, but it's wild the fall of Florida. The, well, the, the Trask offense in 2020 still like put up a lot of points. Oh, I forgot that was 2020. Yeah, yeah, they were awesome. That's true. That's true. Not against um, LSU fair. on that day, but um, yeah, you know, we we all remember a, a certain thrown shoe uh, being a part of it. But like, how crazy is that to think about? Because I mean, for for so long, it was just set it and forget it with the LSU defense, and it's yeah. it's been more of like a like a, a a systemic problem that they continue to to struggle with this. And there's hope now that it changes, but. Man, it just it hasn't been what it once was, and I think that's an understatement. Yeah, I mean, for damn near 20 years from the Saban era through 2019. So, yeah, 2000, about 2019, you're talking about one of the premier groups in the entire country. I mean, with dogs on them, NFL dogs all over the field, year after year. The creation of DBU um, and the Corey Raymond era, which was more of a – moniker being applied than it was the dbs picking it up then right because technically like Corey raymond never coached pat p tyre matthew Corey webster randall gay like the list goes on and on and on and on so 
Um, it's, it's one of the more infinitely frustrating and cosmically ironic and cruel things that all of a sudden you've had two Heisman winners in five years at a place that used to be the fucking elephant graveyard for quarterbacks. Like the place where quarterbacks would go to just die buried under unfulfilled potential. Um, and now you're awesome there. And you finally see all the skill players like just thriving. And now you can't figure it out defensively. And if you can ever marry the two, then that's how Kelly would obviously finally achieve that consistency that has eluded every LSU coach, coach thus far. Let's, let's close with those, the, the, the conversation about the quarterback. Um, I, I think the ceiling for, for Nussmeyer is, is Carson Beck, Mac Jones level where you, you can tell this is someone who had to wait his turn. And by year four, he's kind of chomping at the bit. You don't talk about some of the first year mistakes with him because it's like, all right, this guy was draft eligible last year. But I think the floor for him and his style, and I think we even saw a little bit of this, is like a 2018 Jake Bentley, like a Felipe Franks at, at Florida, <laughs> where like some of these decisions, man, you're He's like, the talent I is there. I have not heard in a long time. <laughs> is, that, is that fair? Like a fair scale for, for Nuss? I mean, it's not an unfair scale, but uh, let me tell you, if you turn in Jake Bentley numbers after a Heisman year... Ooh, that's going to not feel great <laughs> to the fan base. That will create heat. I mean, we, we know in this business, um, the, excuse me, the objective results are not actually, um, what determines the temperature of a fan base. It's all about where the results land in relation to the expectation. And the expectation for us is not to be, uh, Jane Daniels, but it is to kick ass. And look, I'll say this. I came away very impressed from the bowl game. And it's not the raw stats, which are nice, right? 395, three touchdowns, one pick. Great. Um, it's the situational success. Going down 14 points at two different times in the game. Um, getting the ball back with six minutes left, needing a touchdown, and having to stare down 98 yards of field, right? And then going and making it happen and leading a game-winning drive. Like, that's why I come away very bullish about the potential of Garrett Nussmeyer. It, again, it has nothing to do with nearly throwing 400. And um, I, I don't like to say this way because it feels derogatory. And um, quite frankly, I love this guy. I love Miles Brennan. And I think one of the saddest stories about LSU is Miles um, Brennan's career being derailed by multiple crazy injuries. Uh, but if you don't win that game, then you're going to be viewed like Miles was, right? Where, yeah, he put up crazy stats against Mississippi State, but he fucking lost. He put up crazy stats against uh, Mizzou, but you lost, right? And so it's like, um, or he didn't win it. It doesn't matter. But the point is, like, him getting that win was actually critical, I think, to uh, getting a firm chokehold on that job and letting the coaches and fans know that, look, no, the moment will not be too big. You got a guy who's going to score high in the intangible department. Um, and, and hopefully he'll have a better defense behind him, right? Because that's the craziest thing about what Jaden did last year is he managed to shoulder the burden of that defense and never feel like he was pressing maybe outside of the Florida state game to open up the year. Like he did a good job of, um, executing throughout, which is crazy because every single drive last season, it felt like if you don't score, you're done. Like, because you'll just lose pace. And so Nuss should at least have a 
you know, potentially a substantial amount of that burden lifted, which would kind of even out whatever regression you see in theory, at least. And the hope would be that 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 would even out whatever regression you're going to see going from a Heisman winner who had the best statistical season we've seen out of any Heisman winner since like the 70s um, to Garrett Nussmeyer. Don't tell Joe Collette that he did that, but um, yeah, we uh, we don't need to go down that road with with Jaden. Who's Clad on? Was Clad on uh, Penix? Who's he on? He was Penix. on Penix post um, post playoff game and saying that retroactively, Penix deserved the Heisman over Jaden Daniels, who did yeah, not play. I, that. I mean, look, I, I love Penix. I was a big uh, Husky boy all last couple of years. Um, and speaking of cruel irony. Now the guy that I championed for the last couple of years in charge at Alabama. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think how we evaluate the Heisman is pretty stupid. I, I think we're all prisoners of the moment. I think, it, I think it's a quarterback award um, almost exclusively. I think we use all sorts of shifting targets and I don't think that's the worst thing. Actually, I, I shouldn't say it's stupid. Um, I think sometimes there are things where, not having the most codified set of rules um, is not a disadvantage because it does allow you to kind of through the power of social democracy um, kind of chip away and sculpt and hammer out. Okay. You know what? I think this is actually the winner this year. And like, there was a very specific set of circumstances that led to Jaden Daniels winning that. And it's kind of how it was arrived at. So that's, you know, I, I guess it's actually not the way I, I just, when I say stupid, I should have just said, um, if you're coming there looking for consistency in how we award it, like you're not going to find it. Right. It's so, and, that, and that's fine. And that's, fine. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. If we're having conversations about Garrett Nussmeyer as it relates to the Heisman trophy would be, I think uh, everything LSU fans could have great. hoped and dreamed for. I'll say this though, just because this has already gotten going a little bit. If you watch the bowl game, like you, you heard this stuff too. I can't get on board with the Nuss bus. I, I the nickname Garrett Nussmeyer is a player. It's been is around for years, though, dude. It's not going anywhere. But uh, here's the thing: it's too similar to the Gus bus. It's way too similar, and that already came in through, came and went through the SEC. Okay, it, and it's gone. It's in my neck of the woods in Orlando now. Can, can I commission you and Hester, two bright, very creative minds, two of the best minds that we have in our sport? Just a new nickname. That, that that's all I need. Like. Instead of gunslinger, maybe it's nusslinger. I, I don't know. Like just something that isn't nusbus. I, I just don't think it works. I, I don't know. Uh, I got my CDL me, so you might be part. You might be coming the wrong place, dude. Um, when I back up, you hear beep, beep, beep. No, look, I nusbus ain't going anywhere. Uh, I mean, what's funny is it became a rallying cry because many wanted the nusbus over Jaden Daniels last year. Yep. Um, going into the year. So it's too firmly entrenched at this point, and I don't mind it. Nusslinger ain't bad. Um, and Nuss We Trust is another fun one. Um, but nah, you you're gonna you're gonna have to make peace with that one. All right, fair. That's that's fair. Um, one last thing. Have we ever seen Nuss and Jake Crane um in the same room? Is that Do they actually oh my god, I have never really considered this. Do the side by side. Dude, okay, especially his team pick. Yeah. His Nuss's team pick is unreal Jake Crane energy. Holy shit. That's actually crazy. Wow. No, I've never I've, seen, I've it. never noticed that before. It's his team picture, especially. Like, there's some other ones on here I'm not seeing. The team picture is a damn near spitting image of just Jake when he would have been college age. 
Yeah, I thought it was Jake like the first time and I the first time that I saw his bio and I was like, wait a minute. Because it's when he I think it's when he's got like the, the bangs down or something he's like that. Bangs, where it's, and he's kind of got that like those eyebrows is kind of arched eyebrows and the kind of like yep. upturned like lip or something or maybe downturn. I don't know. That's crazy. I never considered that kind of wow. Just blew your mind on a Thursday morning. That's just that's just how we do it, man. It's uh, my birthday tomorrow. Is it really? So by the time people yeah. are listening to this, it'll be your birthday. Wish T-Bob a happy birthday. 35. Everybody, you already follow him on Twitter. How do you how feel about, about this? that? I'm so fucking pumped, dude, because today, World of Warcraft Season of Discovery Phase 2 dropping level cap raised to 40. Let's go, boys. Raid tonight in BFD. Let's go. Hoping for some good loot for the birthday. We'll see. I have no idea what you just said. I, yeah. I'm going to... You, you are in a different world than I am. Hit me up on the Lava Last server. I'm a dwarf priest, T-Bob. If you need some gear award, I'm your man. Do you want to give out your chess name? Do you play people online in chess too? She, do I play people online in chess? I just had a call yesterday with chess.com. I'm going to be commentating their Blitz Champ series, uh, which are college football players playing chess tournaments. Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> T-Bob 53 on chess.com. I ain't scared. Hit me up. Uh, college football players chess. playing chess. What is Look that? What I'm is that market? Chess. Look at this. You, you know I stay ready. <laughs> If, if you're listening, I just panned over in my office to my two chess sets, one Lord of the Rings kind of decorative fun set and one just classic travel set. Um, no, look, chess.com is the largest chess app in the world, largest chess website in the world, you know, hundreds of millions of subscribers. And um, they do really, they just, they do incredible content. Uh, yesterday watching um, Ali Reza Ferruja versus Magnus Carlsen. The finals was incredible. And then, yeah, it's kind of insane to think that I'm going to be, commentating with actual chess gms and i'm shit but i mean commentating with actual chess gms uh covering uh chess i have to pinch myself it's like a true dream come true college football players playing chess is not anything yeah. i ever thought would be called blitz champs to do that. nfl tournaments as well um i can't remember who won the first blitz champs uh joe burrow is very famously a massive chess.com player he was um playing games right before the afc championship that he beat pat mahomes in uh, a couple of uh, years ago, um, there's uh, so the, the Blitz Champs is their NFL version where they get uh, football players and college players to compete in tournaments. Like like last Blitz Champs, there's Larry Fitzgerald, Kayvon Thibodeau, Mari Cooper, Will Davis, Rick Armstead, and others. Um, and yeah, and they're doing it with colleges too now. Where uh, like I'm going to be commentating Maryland, like a bunch of the Maryland players are going to get together. I guess Michigan played a turn, like they've done it like that. So I'm pumped. They do Pog Champs, which are streamers playing chess. Um, the chess community online is incredible. It's the absolute best. As versatile as they come, T Bob, you're the best man. Appreciate it. We'll do it again soon. All right, Connor. Later, man. So in case you missed it. Uh, Georgia fans definitely did not miss it, but <laughs> Kirk Herbstreet told Dominic Riola, the dad of former Georgia quarterback commits and eventual Nebraska flip Dylan Riola, uh, that guy, Kirby advised to flip from Georgia to Nebraska. And if you didn't hear the what happened with this or like the context of it, we're, we're going to go through all of it because Dylan Riola's dad, Dominic Riola, went on Rivals and shared this quote. He said, when this was happening, I'll bring up one guy's name. His name is Kirk Herbstreet. 
when he saw the smoke about Dylan enter, uh, entertaining Nebraska, he was like, call me. He was like, dude, if this is true, he's got to do it. His affinity for Nebraska, for a guy like that to tell me and get behind me, you knew I knew, you, or you know I knew he needed to do it, but I wasn't going to sit here and say, you need to go change that place or be a part of the change of that place. So when Kirk told me that, you know, I was like, man, I had other coaches reach out and say the place is special and Coach Rule is a special leader. Close quote. Okay, so a lot of people will look at what Herbie did and say, what's the problem? This is a guy who gets paid a lot of money to provide his opinion. There's nothing wrong with this. Herb Street probably has people that reach out to him all the time, maybe coaches saying, hey, should I take this job? Should I do this, this, or this? He has a big, big influence. The problem isn't that he has this opinion, right? Like no fault whatsoever. If, if Herb Street goes on ESPN and someone asks him, like it's College Football Live or something like that, or game day or some sort of programming like that, and it's 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 a question that's asked to Herbie. Hey, what would you do if you were Dylan Riola? If he said, I would flip from Georgia to Nebraska because of all those reasons that were outlined, be a part of something special, Matt Rule, all those different things. If he says that in that context, it's received entirely different than the way that it is received in this context. And I can guarantee you that Herb Street did not want this information to get out there, that he had said to Dominic Riola, hey, call me. Here's what I think he should do. He's got to do it. It's the fact that Herb Street, with his influence, felt the need to initiate this contact with one of the highest rated recruits in college football and said, you're waffling on a decision. Here's what I think you should do. There, there are ethical questions that are rightfully being asked about this. And I, I like, look, I have banged the drum for Herbie before that I think he gets too much crap for his biases. And people say he defaults to Ohio State here, or this program here. And yeah, you can probably pick and choose certain instances in which he doesn't hold this team accountable or that team accountable, whatever. But when you are letting your influence and you are hoping that your influence is going to impact a decision like this for a kid that is trying to make up his mind in this moment, that's where, to me, you've crossed the line. And I thought in this instance, like, Herbie crossed the line. He did. And he might not admit that. He's kind of that, like, in, in I don't care mode because he kind of walks on water at ESPN. And that's why he's still able to get into Twitter fights with FSU fans, which is, in my opinion, it should be beneath him, but he's still doing that. Whatever. It's his own social media. I guess he can do what he wants there. But in this context, I think it's kind of messed up. And it's not just because Georgia fans are already frustrated with ESPN or the Pollock McAfee stuff and the way that that has all played out. McAfee, after they lose the SEC championship, is like, Georgia fans, you can go to hell. Like, it's not because of that. Sorry. But Georgia... <laughs> Georgia fans are already not happy with ESPN. And yeah. now the fact that Herb Street, the face of ESPN college football, maybe the face of college football as a whole, is on record with having an influence like this for a move that is going to be so significant, so significant. This is, to me, a bridge too far. And why I, I think even as somebody on the outside looking in, I have a problem with it. 
with the ethics behind it. And people say like, oh, freedom of speech, blah, blah, blah. Freedom of speech doesn't mean that you have the freedom to say whatever you want without consequences. That's the biggest thing. I'm telling you that as a journalist, all right? Like a capital J journalist. But Herb scared Street, to hug Toby Keith because he was in big J mode. I don't know that. Yeah, maybe that was part of it. Yeah, maybe that was a little bit part of it. But like, I, I think Herbie messed up. And I don't know if he's going to admit it or not. But to me, no. that's not what his influence should be used for. Yeah, he's probably not going to. Like, he's probably not going to. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, a couple of things to this. Uh, number one, I mean, if you're one of these conspiracy theorists thinking that ESPN's pushing the SEC agenda is a pretty rough day for you. Uh, it goes two, against that. It, it definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two, it does push the agenda of ESPN's a little bit too involved in this whole thing, I think. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, and and you know we've <laughs> we. Pollock has been super cool to us. I think that to be more problematic than Pat McAfee is hard to do, but I feel like he's found the way to let's do not, that. No, let's, leave, let's leave the Pollock stuff out of this. Let's leave I know, the I know, I know, I know yeah. but I'm talking about Georgia fans. I'm talking about their perspective on this. And it does matter because, you know, I can see as a Georgia fan how you feel like ESPN is treating you differently from how Alabama was treated. I get it. Because at the end of the day, you know, you got Nick Saban on the set, you know, signing these deals, doing all this stuff, yucking it up with the boys in this blue suit. And that's the point I was making is that you feel like you don't really have that level of representation. You don't have that level of, okay, we're going to respect Georgia. In fact, you have the opposite. I mean, could you imagine Kirk Herbstreit calling, you know, uh, Bryce Young and being like, you know, I think you should go to USC if you're from out there. I don't know why you're thinking about Alabama. That's insane to me. All of this is insane to me. I think that, you know, if Herbie is so good at his job of being – um, a couple of things, which is, you know, an on-air host slash a play-by-play guy. The the promised land of on-air media is to be an opinion guy. And I think that Kirk Herbstreet, as an opinion guy, not as... You know, go ahead. He is a call-it-like-I-see-it guy. He right. has prided himself on being that. And even mm-hmm. if you don't agree with his opinion... And I don't agree with his opinion on the Florida State playoff stuff, but he is entitled to that to have that opinion. And that is okay. Where it crosses the line to me is when you are not the person that is just being consulted for advice. If Dominic Riola says, eh, you know what? I wonder how Herb, Herb Street feels about this. And he calls him up and he's like, yeah. look, honest, honest opinion, man. What should my kid do? What should my kid do? And Herbie's like, yeah, you know, I think he should do this. Different. Entirely different, but Herb Street took the initiative. Yep. And yep. he went out of his way to say, call me. He, he's got to do it. He's got to flip. That is a, if you want to pat someone on the back for a college commitment, hey, think you really ended up in the right place. Right. Think you did That's what's totally going to benefit. Different. Totally different story. But mm-hmm. to me, you can't pride yourself on being the call it like you see it guy, which Herb Street has built a, a three decade long successful career on and then do things like that and then expect people not to bring that stuff up. That's the issue. Yes. And I, you know, we have compared, you know, we talked about quality of life in the landscape of college football. We talked about Herbie and Stephen A. Smith as two guys that are working really hard and, and they're kind of at the top of their industry where there's a big difference between those two guys. Stephen A. Stephen a. Smith is a content creator. He is a person who creates stories. His opinions go out, and that is the story. Kirk Herbstreit is a content accentuator, okay? And he's one of the best in the – potentially the best in the business at that. But don't get it twisted. 
if you're Kirk Herbstreet. You are not a content creator. It is not your role. It is not your job to go interfere with the landscape of college football and create a story. We like you because of your perceived objectivity, right? Even as an SEC guy, I can say you're a former Ohio State quarterback, but I respect you because I know that you're being, you're not going to give Ohio State preferential treatment. Well, when you go to bat for Nebraska, I mean, it's one thing to call the guy and say, Ohio State, at least you're helping out your alma mater. What has Nebraska done for you? You know, Herbstreit's doing the thing that I hate, Will. He's he's doing the college football would be better if traditional program were good. Yeah. And that is, in my opinion, even tougher to stomach if this were a story where Desmond Howard is trying to get this guy to his alma mater, which, look, I'm sure Desmond Howard does plenty of that for Michigan. Sure he doesn't he does. hide his Michigan stuff. Yeah. Get your biases out there. Get your biases out there. Let them be known. But if you're doing this behind closed doors and we find out about it from somebody else, that's a tough thing, man. That is a, a tough thing. And like, Herbstreit's going to be looked at in a different way. Like, I continue to say he is being, he is in a different spot than I think he was even three, four years ago. And how he's being perceived, and especially now when these media contracts are so aligned with specific conferences. Yep. And so, yes, while you are no longer aligned with the Big Ten at ESPN, that is something that is going to combat some of that bias. I get that. If you are guy that says sport is better as a whole when this happens, and I'm going to do what I can to make this, that's where you're like, wait, so what? You did what? That That is a place where I am in agreement that fans should be ruffled by that and that it shouldn't sit particularly well that he is using his influence in that way. Yes. I want, I'm so glad that, you, that was literally going to be my next point is that that's the worst type of fan is like national person who is like usually mainly an NFL fan that comes in and says, you know, I just love it. If Miami and USC were good. It's like, dude, I don't care. They need to get their crap together. If they want to be good, they're not special. I want, I enjoy watching Iowa. You know, I'm well, that's a bad example. I enjoy watching <laughs> uh, Utah. Okay. <laughs> I don't enjoy watching Iowa. I enjoy watching Utah. But, but, point, point, but point being, you know, the brands, like, okay, it's two, it almost validates two different conspiracies. And like I said, if you're a Georgia fan before this, I would be going, you know, because a lot of this is Georgia being compared, like I said, to Alabama and us talking, a lot of our conversations with Georgia fans is them going, like the thing that Cook said the other day where he's like, you know, this is all a conspiracy where they knew Saban was going to retire. You saw that, right? Uh, yes, saw that. Not really one to go down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, but you open the door for that stuff when you That's do exactly stuff what like I'm this. saying. That's exactly yeah. what I'm saying is that if you're going to say, like, if we're going to sit here all day and be like, hey, guys, there's no conspiracy against Georgia. And that's why that's why I brought the polar stuff. It's like, no, there's a reason for this. Like, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for this. Like, it's not this. It's not this. And then you have Herb Street going, dog decommit <laughs> it's it, it's crazy just because it validates the one conspiracy that they hate georgia and us we have to go yeah that's kind of a conspiracy and then the other end of it it's the national media like you said saying you know looking out for themselves looking out for the product and making this more commercialized and again that one's not a conspiracy as far as networks influencing stuff as far as the big brands coming to the top as far as and when you see someone who has nothing to financially gain from this like it's one thing if it's the espn executives saying we'd rather if nebraska was good but what do you care herb street it's not like you get a bigger check if nebraska's good you just kind of want that i guess because you have this vision of how you want the sport to be and Hey, guess what? You guys are making the sport the way you want it enough. All right. I feel like Herb Street, there have been so many times I've watched him on college game day over the years where I can see the wheels spinning in his head 
of if he says this, then this is how that will be perceived. And I think yep. he's usually so good at that. But there have just been a few of these instances. Maybe it's because he has such a high standard for that, that there have just been a few of these instances where I'm like, man, those wheels aren't spinning the same way that they were before. And that mm-hmm. can be a problem. That can be a problem when you have that type of audience, that type of influence and in how well known you are and how you're now going to be perceived in the sport where your reputation is everything at this yep. point. Okay. It, it just is with all the platforms that he's on, but yeah, I thought it was worth bringing up um, because I know a lot of Georgia fans, a lot of people just in college football as a whole kind of have opinions on it. And if you're coming at me um, with the, the pro, like you're a Nebraska fan, like, Set this one out. Just Welcome to the national conversation. Good to have you. Um, anyway, <laughs> so point being, like, no, but again, if you're a Georgia fan, you're right. Like, yeah. you're right. This is bad. And this is feels like a conspiracy, dog. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. All right. Jersey contest. Mm-hmm. Um, I saved it for you. Who is the best Cub that I can have on this jersey that I'm rocking? I'm rocking a blue Cubs jersey. Who is the best person that you could see when I turn around and show you my back? And I'll give you oh, a hint. Man. He is not currently on the Cubs, oh, but he yeah. is currently in Major League Baseball. Oh, okay. Well, guess number one, Schorber. Come on. Our guy. You knew it. You knew it. You just knew it. Yep. Schorber is my guy. Like, in every possible way, Indiana guy was living in Nebraska when he was in the College World Series, drove the two and a half, two hours, 45 minutes to be able to see him play on that stage. Cubs draft him so excited. Like I, I, I chunk lad, happy boy. He's everything I wish I could be. Um, (laughs) It's so many ways. Like I even did the whole, like, Oh, I'm a catcher. No, I'm going to go play in the outfield thing. Like in high school. And obviously um, not to the success that Schwarber was able to do uh, in major league baseball. But yeah, my, my brother actually won it. My brother got us like, wedding presents or something he was way too generous he really was but he got um myself and lauren both schwarber jerseys and so i've had this since yeah i got it uh 2016 like right before their run to the world series and wore it to death during october and it was i don't want to say a good luck charm no i do want to say it was a good luck charm um very much so brought the good vibes and uh, yeah, I just, I, I love Schwarber and my uncle would always text my brother and I, because he was not a Schwarber guy. Schwarber sucks whenever he'd go 0 for 4 with 4Ks. And my brother and I would always text him whenever he would, you know, hit a 460 foot bomb and he'd be like two for four with a couple of homers and like Schwarber sucks. And we would say the same thing back to him um, because he doesn't and he clearly doesn't. And the fact that the Cubs couldn't find what was it eight million dollars to be able to pay him is just the most maddening thing ever because all the teams that he's on are freaking good and it's not an accident and it's because he is the ultimate vibes guy i love schwarber i will always root for him he's the absolute man i will wear this jersey with pride even though he is sadly no longer on the cups yeah that's a that's a guy we connected over earlier i I loved him as well for the aforementioned reasons and again 
plays the game in a very entertaining way. You know, he's not going to have a lot of routine. He's not he's not a bunter, that Shorber. You know what I'm saying? Bunting sucks, and so does yes. anyone who thinks it's good. All right? Correct. Yeah, the getting rid of the uh, – or, or like kind of adding the DH, I think, was good. Again, I'm not an NL baseball guy, but I think that having more Shorbers out there is good. So point being, and I guess there's only one Shorber, right? But, yeah, I, I think that's super cool. My first guess was going to be Arietta because you guys look a little similar, but Shorber would have been number two. <laughs> when I grow out the beard at uncomfortable – get food stuck in it lengths i i can pull off the arietta thing just from a a facial profile thing Mm -hmm. the the physical attributes i mean he is insanely yoked i mean yoked to levels that you're like people always assumed that because of when he blew up that he was on steroids because he's also you know in ridiculous shape um but yeah i've 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 heard the arietta comparison when the beard is is very very long actually when Cubs were in the midst of the World Series run, and I really grew it out because you know playoff beard. Maybe that's a little bit more of a hockey thing, but had to go for it. And uh, and that was when I was feeling my most Arietta like. But no, uh, Schwarbo, that is that's yeah, my guy, man. God, I he's miss a him. king. And and I mean, unfortunately, you know, the Phillies are the Phillies, right? Like, they're it's hard to root for the Phillies. I fully understand it. But the, you know, the silver lining is we get to see him in these postseason runs, and he deserves it. I think that he's. I I think he makes he baseball is good when he's in the postseason. Let's say it that way. So that's the take. Well, don't give me this. Miami needs to be good for college. Uh, college football is better when Miami's good. Major League Baseball is better when Kyle Schwarber is hitting bombs in the playoffs. That's mm-hmm. all I know. Okay, I'm sorry if that makes me a little bit you know, lazy of a lazy baseball fan, but it's the god honest truth. Don't give me the leadoff guy that's going to get you a nice little single that puts you in a better position later in the game. Give me the dude who just hits a nuke on the first pitch while I'm like in the restroom. But I'm like, what? Yes. It's already one nothing. Yes. That's yeah, that's him. Yes. Oh, Schwarber, the absolute best. All right. Do you have a Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl prediction for uh, for for Sunday? Because I was trying to think of one. I was like, God, I I don't have to go on record anywhere, so maybe I shouldn't do this. But I I'll go Chiefs twenty. Four Niners twenty and Chris Jones, Mississippi State legend, becomes the first defensive lineman to win Super Bowl MVP honors since a certain Richard Dent won it when he was with the eighty five Bears. Yeah, Mississippi State is uh they get they have some dudes in the league. They are putting the, their footprint on the league. The guys that they have are guys. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I would say Niners twenty seven, Chiefs twenty four. I, I think that this feels like the Niners year. I feel like they've, you know, yet to be an underdog in a game. I think McCaffrey's finally healthy, which is a really big deal. I don't think Brock Purdy is any good, but it doesn't seem to matter. Um, seems like, it, again, Wilkes, not any good. Doesn't really feel like it matters. It feels like these guys just have creatures all over the ball. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. I think about Isaiah Pacheco running over a Steve Wilkes defense. And I'm <laughs> oh, like, no. That's, that's, that's advantage. Compelling Pacheco. argument you just made right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but hopefully everybody uh, is able to enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday, eats a ton of food. I'm sure we'll have maybe some sort of thoughts on that on Monday. We're going to have a different schedule coming up because I'm going to be going out of town later next week. So kind of explain what that is. We're still going to have our normal episode that comes out next Tuesday morning. Then I'll kind of run through. Uh, we're going to change a couple of things just to be able to accommodate um, our moving schedules. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday Down South podcast. Follow us on Twitter, the app formerly known as Twitter, at the SDS Pod, at Set Down South, at CJ O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.